Hey, welcome back to Church Jams Now. You're probably wondering why the heck TJ is starting this episode. And that's because Kylan, sweet, sweet Kylan, our fearless captain, our fearless leader, our fearless captain leader, Kylan Savage is not with us for part A, but don't worry, jammers, he'll be back for part B. In the meantime, we've got your good old, beautiful producer, Winnie the Josh. What's up, Josh? Hello. Welcome back, jammers. And joining us today is our wonderful friend... I lovingly refer to him, I think we all maybe lovingly refer to this beautiful human as Hoog, but his uh, proper Christian name is Jonathan Hoogendorn. Welcome, Jonathan. What's up? Super happy to be here, guys. My old bandmates, my old classmates, my old friends. Super happy to be here. Yeah, we thought we'd bring you on for a, a special record here. Yeah, we we haven't uh, we haven't been as looped into each other's lives recently, but we do go back and, you know, maybe tell us, give us a little elevator pitch from your perspective, Jonathan, about that, about our sort of connection and uh, a little bit of our history, and then tell the jammers a little bit about yourself now. So from the past to the present. Sure. Um, I'm at all three of you guys, but we'll stick with TJ and Josh first. I'm at both of you guys at uh, Dallas Baptist University, where I think you met each other as well. Correct back in the early 2010s and or maybe even the late 2000s. Um, I will be honest, I don't remember the first time I met either one of you, but um, I have continuous memories of you throughout all of college and uh, just hanging out with mutual friends. Yeah, yeah. Hanging out with mutual friends, um, but then eventually we kind of got into music altogether. If I remember correctly, um, Kylan was a little older than us, I think, and he already had a band going that Josh was involved in uh, called The Truth About Movie Stars. So since we had all kind of started playing music and just kind of jamming together, going to concerts together, we sort of all formed around The Truth About Movie Stars, which was, you know, a folk band, and I was playing cello and the floor tom and guitar and whatever else uh, I could possibly get my hands on. <laughs> and that was a great time. Um, I have great memories of playing in, in The Truth About Movie Stars. Uh, we also all played in another band, um, Aaron's band, um, This Is The Good Fight. So we went around Dallas and Fort Worth playing in that pop punk band, which was also really fun. Um, I still haven't figured out why I was in that band playing cello. I don't know if you could ever hear me, but it was a great time. It's one of those things, I feel like because you played cello, everyone was like, can we get Hoog in our band? He plays cello. Like it was such a novelty thing. Yeah. Was so and you it just were the like cool guy. it up the coolness factor of the band. Like this is the good fight. Two Tams were just kind of pop punk indie bands, but then when you brought a cello into the mix, like even cooler. If nothing else, it was a spectacle. I don't think it sounded. I think it sounded good in T Tam. I don't know about in This Is the Good Fight. I mean, there's a great band, and Aaron's a great musician, but I don't know if I sounded good in the band, right? But anyways, uh, yeah. It, it, at least it looked cool on stage. It was great for photos. Josh, you and I were roommates. We were for a year. Yeah. I honestly had to think about that oh, for a roomies. long time. That's and I cute. was like, I'm pretty confident, but we lived in different <laughs> rooms in the same apartment. But then I started thinking about us watching community together and um, yes. kind of bonding over that. Mm-hmm. But long time ago. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, that's kind of the, the crux of my memories with you guys. And, um, you know, we've all gone our separate ways ever since. Um, I was telling you guys before that, like, I've, I've run into TJ a couple times over the last couple years. Um, 
our families worked together a little bit, uh, just kind of in like the Southern Baptist community. Uh, and so it was very cool to spend, I think we spent a Christmas together many years ago or kind of around right. Christmas up in the mountains of, of New Mexico. Where are you at now? I'm in Washington, D.C. now. I've uh, been here for five years and uh, yeah, been working for the government here for, for about five years. We just got a house inside the district after a little bit of suburb life and um, it's been really fun. Never lived in a city before, but uh, just doing the like government thing. Uh, don't play music as much anymore, but I still have my cello, still have my acoustic uh, and still love uh, a lot of the same music that kind of brought us all together 10, 15 years ago. A beautiful thing to bring friends together. That was a very succinct introduction of yourself. Yeah, yeah. well put. Very, very. <laughs> I can expound if you want. Very, but. Yeah, no, very well done. And then, no, TJ, we great. talked about this before, that this is our first uh, coast-to-coast podcast. Where is it? Jonathan That's right. Hoog is on the East Coast, and TJ's all on the West Coast. Oh, so. should we do the whole, like, oh, TJ, what time is it over there? Oh, my God, it must be so early. Yeah. It's Don't tell me what time it is. It's okay. That's PM. <laughs> Now you know. <laughs> oh, thank God. It's pretty great. Yeah, and then, who I want to hear a little bit about some of how you grew up, because we talked about, obviously, this whole point of the po- the whole point of this podcast is that we are former youth group kids, now music nerds, which you fall into that as well. So even though Kylan's not here, we have three. We still have three former youth group kids, current music nerds, <laughs> talking about music that we grew up with. So I want to hear about uh, the music that you grew up with, like, whether it was you could only listen to Christian music, where you could listen to like both, what were uh, Christian, non-Christian, what were the big bands and albums that made impacts on you uh, growing up and kind of helped you along in your musical path to being a musician yourself? Take us back. Sure. The year was 1996, probably. And I had this Whoa. very distinct memory. You guys covered this music, but I had... Um, I somehow came across uh, the Newsboys song with Toby Mac, God Is Not a Secret, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was like Which on is... the live version of Shine. I was on like the Shine Greatest Hits, I think. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, my years may be off, but I, I have a distinct memory of walking through my parents' home in the mid-90s, late-90s, hearing that song and it being really strange and really, in my mind at that time as a young child, very heavy. Um, and that was very attractive to me. I didn't know why, but that's kind of been a theme for me for a very long time. Um, so the Newsboys was kind of the start for me. That's the earliest band I can remember listening to. So I really appreciated y'all's episode on, on the, I can't remember the name of the record that you guys did, but that, that was a lot of fun. Um, take me to your leader. Take me to your leader. Yeah. Take me to your leader. So that, that's going way back, uh, through the late nineties, early two thousands. Yes. I, I grew up in the Southern Baptist church in Texas and New Mexico, a very devout Christian family, a very cool family. And so they did let me listen to not everything that I wanted, but, um, you know, we did have the vast majority of all the music in our household was Christian. I just want to confirm to the listeners that John's family, John's family is very cool. (laughs) Thank you. It, it is a very cool family. Like you're not you're not just biased about that because it's your family. <laughs> I can I can weigh in and say Thank you. Y'all are all very cool people. Thank you for that. My mom will very likely listen to this episode. I feel like she will listen to whatever I put my voice on, which is very sweet. Yes, um absolutely. I don't think she cares about the art record or the band that we're talking about today, but um <laughs> you know, her dear son That's in funny. DC, I'm sure she'll want to hear. There you go. <laughs> so shout Excellent. out to mom. So that being the background, a lot of Christian music. My mom's a very proficient musician. 
she's a composer, uh, pianist, singer, vocalist, um, trained musician. So she raised my sister and I in, in a lot of music. And uh, the most of it was from, you know, CCM, uh, Christian Radio. And I remember in like the, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, some more alternative music starting to show up on the scene. And I started to like the CCM stuff a lot less. And um, some of those early records, uh, which another uh, episode that you guys did a really good job on that I really enjoyed was Alien Youth. I think that came out in 2001. Such a period piece. Indeed it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and so I remember like getting that record, I think, by mail order. So it cost me like 18 bucks. Oh, nice. Or, or something by, wow. by mail order. And I ended up getting that one because there was this like, I was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the time, and there was this Christian music video station, and they had a couple skillet um skillet music videos and they were just so heavy for me at the time and they were like all leather clad and like they had these pretty girls yeah, in were. their band and I was <laughs> like oh my god so yeah that it was very attractive to me it was very like new metal types type stuff right right so that and then you know I just started getting into like more alternative heavy music over the years um, and kind of away from the CCM stuff although almost everything I listened to up until like late high school was uh, Christian music and CCM uh, anytime riding with my parents in the car was the Christian radio station. Um, I was thankful to live in a couple cities that had good rock stations, or decent rock sta Christian rock stations. It wasn't until like the, I guess the mid-2000s when I was a young teenager that the like Christian post-hardcore thing came across my path. And, you know, we can, we can cover that later. But um, definitely I have a history of just loving really intense, heavy technical music, even as a kid. And I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out why that is and what the attributes are of it that I like so much. Um, and that and that brings me to today. Well, yeah, I think that makes you a great guest for us to have on to cover Define the Great Line yes. under oath today. We're excited to have you. I think you're going to weigh in in a way that is going to bring a lot of good perspective that I am not capable of bringing Um Probably Josh is going to be able to speak more knowledgeably about this album um, and you and Kylan. I'm excited to have him back for for part B because mm. I really didn't I didn't um, I didn't listen to this album all that much. Uh, so I'm actually going to be learning quite a bit from from all of you guys uh, on this episode. Um, Josh, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about Under Oath in general and define the Great Line specifically? Under Oath from Tampa, or I, be, I think more specifically St. Petersburg, Florida. They started in the late 90s, from 97 to 2013. They went on a brief hiatus, and then they came back in 2016, and they are still together. They've released two albums since they came back. They were just really three years in, of inactivity since 1997 till now. The members uh, for this record, they've had a lot of member changes, but for this record specifically, um, and this record is kind of the core lineup of who was on, they've, I guess, been together for, I think, five records at this point. So really, this is like, when you think of the Underworth members, it's the members for this record and their current members right now. Uh, you have Spencer Chamberlain, who does lead vocals and a little bit of guitar as well. Uh, this was, Define the Great Line was his second album with them and kind of the one where he really came into his own with the band, I feel like, which is not a very unpopular opinion. I think a lot of people have that. <laughs> Aaron Gillespie, who I'm sure a lot of people know, uh, is a killer drummer and does the clean vocals for the band and just a crazy musician as well. Tim McTague is the lead guitarist. 
Uh, Chris Dudley is their keyboardist and synthesizer, samplers, programming. Um, those four are kind of like the main, I feel like, creative force of the band. Um, but then you also have Grant Brandell on bass and James Smith on rhythm guitar. So it's a six piece with uh, two guitarists and a keyboardist. So, which I don't know, I feel like at the time was maybe a little more niche. Uh, to have like a keyboardist in your metal band, like I don't, I don't know if it is anymore, but I remember like back in the day, I was like Prada and Underoath were the only ones that I knew that were doing that. Yeah, I, I don't know anyone before them either. And like I, I was listening to Chris uh, Dudley on a podcast not too long ago, who was kind of talking about that as well. Like he wasn't trying to talk himself up, but he was saying like that was kind of a new thing. I mean, there were keyboardists in like '90s synth and new wave bands, but putting that into like a heavy and the heavy scene was quite new other than like orchestral black metal, black metal music. So that was kind of a new thing. And yeah, it ended up going quite well for them. Yeah, obviously. And then a lot of bands since then were like, Oh, we should do that too. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of the whole overarching thing of Undro's careers. Undro does something and every other band is like, let's do that. (laughs) So (laughs) So it comes comes up a lot of times over Undro's history. So I'm going to talk about more of the record that we're talking about, which is Define the Great Line. Uh, It was released June 20th, 2006, which as of right now is 15 years old. It'll be turning 16 in June. Crazy. My God. It was released on Tooth & Nail slash Solid State Records, which we do a lot of Tooth & Nail on here, and I'm sure we'll do even more. Uh, It was produced by Matt Goldman and Adam D. Matt Goldman, who is famous for doing Copeland, Chariot, As Cities Burn, uh, just so many bands of like a lot of like heavy scene bands for this but also like you have like random bands like copeland and i know he worked with amberlynn because uh, he was out of atlanta for a long time and then you have adam d uh who is the crazy lead guitarist for kill switch engage who has done records like bless the martyr or i am hollywood and then he produces like all of kill switch's stuff of course their pairing of matt goldman and adam d under Earth also uh followed up for lost in the sound for having two producers for that. And I always thought it was funny that uh, Devil Wears Prada came out for their 2011 album, Dead Throne. They also used Adam D and Matt Goldman. And I was like, <laughs> I know what you guys are doing here. Like, you're like, oh, Under Earth got a gold record with Define the Great Line and these two producers. You're five years too late, but I see what's going on. Prada. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, do, I do think that is their, uh, that's my favorite Prada record. So Dead Throne? It did work, yeah. As we talked about a lot, or a little bit on the last record, the beautiful letdown record that we that will have already come out by the time this is out. Um, this record was mixed. The entire thing was mix, mixed by Chris Lord Algae. Uh, we had the one song on Beautiful Letdown, Meant to Live, that was mix, mixed by him. But this and whole record, should. yeah. Well, this hmm. get ready, TJ, because this whole record is mixed by him, and it sounds All right. huge. Stoked. <laughs> yep. Uh, this record was huge um i do want to spend a little bit of time talking about like charts and performance because the level that this album reached was really unseen in the scene and in the the christian music like metalcore scene at the time um when it debuted on billboards 200 at number two that's every album ever is number two um i think the number one at the time i think was afi's december underground Mm. so that was the only album that sold more copies that week when it debuted Billboard Christian number one debut, of course. Uh, it was certified gold by RIAA on, which is half a million units sold on November first, two thousand six. So it barely took four months to sell so half fast. a million records. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, I found that it was the highest debut um, on a Billboard Top 200 chart for a Christian album since 1997 for Leanne Rimes' You Light Up My Life album. Leanne Rimes. Yeah, so almost... So <laughs> That's nine, an old name. Yeah, nine years in, in the Christian industry, or a Christian, in quotes, album had not debuted as high on the Billboard Top 200. So I was listening to one of the guys a couple years ago talk on a podcast about um, kind of like the lead up to Define the Great Line, which I thought was a really good setting for kind of what was on them uh, whenever they wrote this record and whenever it eventually came out. So like Warp Tour 2004... They had basically they basically just released um, the previous record. They're only chasing safety, which for anyone that's not a big Under Oath fan is very very different from Define the Great Line. Um, they kind of look back at the guys in the band kind of look back at it and kind of laugh now because it's, it's a great record, um, but it's kind of like more pop punky. It's a little lighter. It's not nearly as dark. But basically, when they started the tour in, two, in like summer of two thousand four, the record came out, but they weren't very a very popular or famous band. Um, and then over that summer, they noticed like every show, there was like a hundred more people that would come over to their to their show at that Warp Tour uh, stage. And like the next show, there'd be a hundred more people, a hundred more people. And suddenly, by the end of the tour, it's like these classic videos that you see now of every all these emo kids in the crowd doing the you know drowning in my sleep, drowning in my sleep. And so they're like, what is like what is happening? How, like, where are all these people getting this music from? And so they start getting calls from their, their agent and everything, and, like, their record sales for that record were, like, ten times their highest goals by the end of Warp Tour, and that was just the first couple months of sales. And so um, they had kind of made a name for themselves with that record, and so then when they came to make To Find the Great Line, Brandon Ebel from Tooth and Nail, the, the owner of Tooth and Nail, had really tried to pressure them, apparently, to make... Uh, they're only chasing safety part two, you know, in, in concept, right? Yeah. Like not actually call it that, but you know, let's make another one of these. Like you guys are going to go like platinum. If you make another one of these, you have so much momentum. And it was mm -hmm. like this perfect confluence of everybody was kind of starting to get uh, like internet, but nobody had iPhones yet. So they couldn't track everything perfectly. The financial crash hadn't hit yet, so like all these kids going to Warp Tour still had a ton of money from their parents to go buy like T-shirts and records, and so then whenever 2006 hits, it is still that era where like I don't remember what year the iPhone came out, but it's still that era 07. before 07. Okay, so a little bit, a little bit after Define the Great Line. Wow, that is that is nuts. Brandon Ebel has described it as like this perfect era before like this kind of technological revolution and before this massive financial recession that eventually destroyed the music industry before it rebuilt. Um, and so they had this massive pressure on them and they could have cashed in and just come out with their only chasing safety part two. And they were like, no, fuck it. We're going to make the record that we want to make. And then they just <laughs> kind of like went in rock and roll and made whatever the hell they wanted to make. And it turned out that a lot of us, it was a, as you said, it was a huge record. I don't know the numbers or anything, but that was kind of the pressure on them leading up to this in 2006, which I find quite quite interesting. That's great context. I, I wonder if like, because I wasn't, I, I wasn't as familiar with this album. I didn't listen to it as much as They're Only Chasing Safety. And um, I'm wondering if it's because it was harder. I was the kid that loved They're Only Chasing Safety and mm -hmm. wanted... They're only chasing safety part two. <laughs> and like that, that Brandon Ebel was, you know, pinpointing, like I was that target demo. I, I guess what I would, what I would put to you guys is like, do you think to find the great line was so much harder as specifically not, not a sonic detour 
to stick it to him, but harder to stick it to him, like musically? Do we think it was like more metal, less screamo or emo to be taken seriously, to push back on label demands? Do you think that weighed in at all? Do you think that was part of the decision? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of curious if they thought about it in such terms. I, I, I kind of think of, you know, we were talking about the creative influences in the band and, you know, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Tim kind of seems to be the main like conceptual creative force in the band. Tim McTagg, their lead guitarist. Of course, the two vocalists and Chris are also huge influences, but he is kind of like the business end of like, okay, how are we conceiving of this next album? How's it going to sound? Um, and I think like hmm. he does not think about it necessarily in terms of like, oh, this is what this next record is going to sound like. He's like, let's just throw everybody into a room. Let's drink a bunch of beers. Let's turn <laughs> our music way up and then just shred some hard, like, heavy music, however we feel. And then like whatever comes out on the other end, they kind of all step back and they're like, this is the record we came out with. Like, t- take it or leave it. If you guys hate it, that's fine. But like, this is the under oath record. So... So it's almost like method acting. They just like <laughs> submit to the muse and like go all in and then whatever happens, happens and they accept it and embrace it. It's kind of two things because they started as like a death metal-esque band. So right. whenever like Chasing Safety came around, they were like, they started heavy and then they kind of went, were leaning more Chasing Safety for like a little bit of changing the times and Chasing Safety, but then they came back to it it's like that heavy sound, but in a new right. way. And then Under Oath is also just the band that like whatever you tell them to do, they're going to not do it. Like <laughs> the opposite. They're going to yes, do it yes. their way. And Tim especially, I've heard be like, I don't care if no one likes this record. Like he's going to do it because he finds it artistic. Yes. So like, and that's just them. And I think it was for this record that like after they made Chasing Safety, and I'm sure like, like you were saying with Brandon wanting to push them and whatever, I think it was for this record I heard before that they didn't let anyone at the label listen to anything that they had been recording while they were doing Define the Great Line, which is like <laughs> a stipulation in your contract, like A&R can hear so that we can be like pick singles and they can be like, well, maybe if we may like put a, the chorus in here so we can have like more of a singly song. And they were like, no one at the label is going to hear this until we're done with it. And then when you like when we give it to you it's done like no more changes which like what a bold no one, move and then no one else could really do that like who else had that kind of power with tooth and nail or that's incredible really other labels to do that so then whenever they finally turn in to find the great line and they're thinking like maybe this is chasing safety part two and they just get blasted with the find the great <laughs> line like i i would love to be in that room just to like see people's reactions be like what yeah. What are we gonna do with this? And then it ends up working commercially and critically, which is th- that's the perfect way to finish that story because like it worked on both ends because right both people were yeah. happy. <laughs> they they subverted expectations and also blew people's minds in a in a great way. Mm-hmm. Very much so. I gotta be honest. This might be coloring my listen to the <laughs> album. It's, it's coming important. Up. It's I mean it's it's all context for the record, but yeah. We're kind of selling you on it. Yeah, you are. It's 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 working so far. We'll see if the album can live up to the hype. Yep, for sure. I did have one other thing I wanted to talk about trivia that I thought was kind of cool. Um, we talk about we used to talk about awards. I gave up kind of bringing up awards because it became all like Dove Awards and like Christian Gospel like <laughs> award like Bill, the Grammy Awards for like right. gospel ones. I'm like, who cares? Like 
There's all just Christian stuff. <laughs> Under Oath, I think, is our first band on this one to actually be nominated for regular Grammy Awards. Nice. nice. And on this record specifically, they were nominated for uh, Best Short Form Music Video in 2007 Grammy Awards for the music video for Writing on the Walls. Other mm. videos that this was in contention with was The Killers, When You Were Young. Wow. Red wow. Hot Chili Peppers, Danny California. Whoa. Uh, Big and Rich, 8th of November, which I don't know that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's just random. Big and uh, Rich. Oh, my God. Yeah. I take that. That's what was going on back in the well, day. Well, we see who came out on top in this conflict. <clears throat> well, it was OK Goes, Here It Goes Again. Oh, of course it was. It's the, then of that's the treadmill one. That's the one that yep. started and catapulted OK Go into be the music video band. Right. So, I mean, at least they lost to a worthy opponent. I mean, that's a stacked, other than Big and Rich, that's a stacked uh, <laughs> list of competitors. Killers, Chili so. Peppers, yeah. That makes sense that it got such recognition wow. because they went balls to the wall for, like, marketing. Like, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you guys remember the marketing of this record, but, it like, it had this amazing sort of consistency. Uh, mm. I don't know how to describe it, but, like, the marketing was so artistic about, like, you know, lots of like big desert scenes and sort of like glistening obsidian blacks and like they're all wearing like super skinny black jeans and they have like greasy hair, but everything is like very stylized. Right. Like they really figured out their aesthetic and that was able to be carried to the masses yes. effectively. I think whenever the music video, it was either like a moment suspended in time. I think it was that one because I think your reverse of inviting had already come out, but like we still had dial up whenever that video came out. So like on YouTube in like late 2000, I guess it was probably sometime in 2007 when that video came out. I like got on my dial up on YouTube and I like loaded that thing for like four hours so I could watch like this four minute music video <laughs> of Under Oath when it finally debuted. Kids these four days. hours, it took Josh? It took so long to load that four minute music video can you imagine today being that patient you throw away the computer you just be like ah this is this is broken this is going in the trash trash yeah (laughs) yeah no so that's what we had to do back in the day though (laughs) which (laughs) so funny. so i want to hear about from y'all like what do you remember about when this album came out or like when did you first hear this record what what are your memories associated with it back in the day but also i guess going forward so I had talked a little bit about um, when I ended up with um, the previous record, They're Only Chasing Safety, and I remember like getting really ramped up, even though that album hit me like maybe 80% of the way, not 100%. Uh, I was really sold on like the tooth and nail solid state thing already. And I think I bought that record in like mid-2005, so I didn't have a whole lot of time listening to that record before Divine the Great Line came out. Um, so when it did come out, I was like prime for it though. I was like in the, I was just discovering their old music. So I was like, here we go. Were you like anticipating the new record? Like you knew it was coming out, like Under Oath is dropping a new record soon. Not very long. I like, I don't remember, I, I remember getting late into the game, uh, getting into the game late. Like I usually do for most things like this, where like I'm, I'm in it late, but then when I'm in it, I'm in it. And I'm just like, oh hell yeah. Like I've been waiting for this forever, but it's really only been like two months. Um, that's what happened to me with Harry Potter too. So (laughs) yeah. So like, I don't remember a lot of anticipation, but I I did pre-order it. Um, probably did the order by mail thing and paid 18 bucks or whatever a CD. Um, and I'd got it shipped to my house. Um, got some special edition or whatever. 
I think the heaviest record that I owned before this was probably As Cities Burns, their um, um, Sun I Love Sun You I as Your Darkest. You. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, does that record precede Define the Great Line? I yeah, think it does. Yeah, it's 04, I think. No, it's yeah, 04. It was yeah. earlier. Yeah. And whenever I got that record, I was like, oh my God, this is so heavy. I can't ever let my parents hear me listening to Sun I Love You at Your Darkest. <laughs> And then I get to find the great line in, and like I'm in my, you know, I play it on like my stupid boombox with like the separatable, you know, speakers in my room. And like that little, you know, um, video wheel sound comes on, and I was like, what is this? And then just absolute chaos from then on. So like I remember just mm. an immense amount of energy from that record because it's so much more energetic than they're only chasing safety. So was listening to the record in its entirety like, the first time you heard it, did you hear any singles? I think it was probably the first time because honestly, man, I was probably in your in in your boat. Like I, we still had dial up, so I don't remember listening to any Under Oath before that record came out. I just knew that whatever they were doing on their early chasing safety, I was in, um, and I don't think I could have pulled up their music on the internet. <laughs> so I have no specific memory of hearing that stuff. However, you would you know you would go to Hot Topic and you would see. Maybe they would play it there, like you would see their merch about the new record, and you would just kind of feel that like merchandising ramp up um, that used to happen back in the mid two thousands that no longer happens these days. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think whenever I turned on the record, man, that was the first time I ever heard it, and um, it was it, it really impacted me. It, it was just so much energy and so much darkness and so much uh, intensity altogether. TJ, do you have any? So I really don't. Yeah, I'll. We can we can make a contrarian sandwich out of this because I, I was the contrarian on this, on this record for, for no good reason (laughs) other, other than I just like, wasn't at the time that this came out, I wasn't as into like harder metal core. I liked hardcore. I liked, you know, the harder like prog rock. I was a big as cities burn fan. You know, I was, doing the weird showbread thing but i like i said i think i wanted they're only chasing safety part two and something about my brain my ears at the time didn't hook into what they decided to do the way that they decided to challenge their audience and push back on the label's expectations didn't really hook me but with that said i'm excited to to jump into this one now and maybe give it a shot in the way that I couldn't when it came out in 06. You know, I think I was too busy listening to Arcade Fire or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I wanted They're Only Chasing Safety Part part 2 and I didn't get it. So I I, I got nothing. I'm dry. I'm dry. (laughs) Well, that's I I think it's a cool perspective because then you'll get to kind of get more of a fresh take. Yeah, and I'm sure Kylan will have you know some oh, stuff yeah, to, have, to add. Have a lot of cool stuff. Get to of, the other side of this, but my first exposure to Underoath was like my my parents used to buy us like those music video compilation DVDs that like Tooth and Nail would sell and whatnot. Yeah, and my that was first, cool of them. It was cool, yeah. Um, and so that my first exposure to Underoath was the music video for Reinventing Your Exit, mm. and I was like, I was listening to, like TFK and Reliant K and like. Pillar was the heavy band I was into. So whenever like that came on, I was like, wait, do they like, is the drummer singing? Do is the guy that's screaming? Is that his only job in the band? Like, does he do nothing else? He doesn't (laughs) even sing. What? Like that blew my mind that you would have someone in your band that didn't even sing that they were just like a harsh vocalist or like they would just scream. 
So I was like, what? That was weird. But like there was something in that sound that I like kept coming back to that music video. And then I got into the record a little bit later. My I didn't have I dial up at home, but my school, my mom worked at the school. So when I would wait after I got off of school, while I was waiting for her to get off of work, I would get onto the computer and go to like their MySpace or their pure volume and like listen to songs so I could listen to them without it buffering for years. And I heard enough of Define the Great Line to be like, okay, I want to hear more of this. So then Christmas of 2006, I asked for that record for Christmas um, and I got it. And then at that point up into my life, like one of my friends would be like, I like started getting into heavier stuff like Project 86 and like Demon Hunter. And he was like, oh, you listen to Screamo. I'm like, no, I don't. And then, <laughs> and then whenever I got to find the great line and it just like hit me and I was like, oh, this is amazing. And I was like, yeah, I listen to Screamo now. Like that was like the, that was like, I accepted like, and I'll wear that badge proudly too. I mean, that happened later for me who, cause you were getting it like around or on release day and I didn't get it till like six, seven months later for Christmas. But I remember Christmas day putting it into my stereo as well. And then like hearing the film reel for in regards starting, I kind of revisited I revisited that last Christmas. I listened to Define a lot around last Christmas because it was the 15-year anniversary, or the record had been around 15 years, but it was the 15-year anniversary of me having that record. And last Christmas, I was 30, so I was like, I have had this record for half of my life. Oh, and no. Was like, wow. Yeah, oh, no. so I kind of I had this moment <laughs> where I was like, wow, I was like, my, my life right now is like, Predefine and post-define the great line but it was like in a really cool way that like obviously this is a huge record for me i guess to talk about i have listened to this record within the last five five months ago i guess as of taping this so i'm not coming in with like it's been years since i've listened to this record what i'm hearing is it was kind of a gateway record oh definitely yeah into yeah. the metal world so i actually owe a lot to under oath uh because so i i met my wife through under oath in a very real way uh, where we went to camp together, summer camp together in New Mexico when we were like in high school. We had not been dating all that time, but we met each other then. And like, I remember talking to her cause she was like the only girl at the camp. She was wearing an under oath shirt and I was like super into under oath. So I was like, I have to go talk to this chick. <laughs> so I introduced myself to her. We talked about like heavy music and tooth and nail and all that. And you know, 15 years later, we're, we're now happily married uh, in a different part what of the country. What a meet cute. Right, right. That's so great. Well, I think we're at the stage where we have to deliver a perspective judgment. I'm wondering if there's any listeners out there that don't think you guys are going to bop this album. <laughs> but I even think I might bop this album, remembering almost nothing of it, and just based solely on what y'all have said. You've, you've pitched it pretty well what would you have said previous to this conversation do you think it would have flopped previous to us sharing our passion for it i think i would have given it a perspective bop but i think it would have been like barely across the line like crawling across the finish line Cro bop. across the great line that's that's fine. for me oh that's right yeah good job and now it's like it's sprinting across the great line but I don't know. I mean, I don't want to assume. Yeah, yeah. Like, 2006 TJ would have flopped it, though. I don't even know if 2006 TJ could have even weighed in. I think he would have been just too flummoxed by the whole thing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. All right. But you're saying bop now? Yeah. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land in bop, Bopville today yeah. on this one. Heck yeah. Hoog. Yeah. What will it be for you? 
I will admit it's been a long time since I've listened to it front to back. It's probably been three or four years, so it, it's been a while. So I promise I'm going to do my due diligence when I listen to it, and I'm going to I'm going to get my good headphones. I'm going to plug it I into my good that. system, and I'm going to yeah. dedicate the time to listening to the record with open ears. But yeah, That's I got to bop it. I mean, it's it's historically speaking, it's in my top three records of all time in terms of influence and wow and just that's big yeah yeah so it's gonna be hard man it would take a a act of god for me to flop it but it (laughs) it has been a while so let's let's see yeah all right josh i will not be as ambiguous like there's no way i could flop this like and like (laughs) i admitted previously that i had listened i've listened to this within the last five months of this of recording this so like this is just one that I loved whenever I first heard it and it's been like you said it's been a huge like this is if I had to pick like 10 records that made a significant impact on me like this would have to be one of them. It's it's one that I was never got like bored of or like thought was like oh I just was like really into this record for a time but now I'm like I see its flaws now. So all that to say it's it's going to be a bop. I don't know how it could be a flop for me. So amen to that. Yeah. Sounds right like a, sounds like a classic three bop scenario. Yep. Yeah, I'm excited for whenever Kylan comes on for part B, I guess, to give us his background and then his flop or bop of it. But I can't imagine. One of our other Under Oath claim to fames is that we did an escape room with Spencer Chamberlain. Oh, uh, really? Do you guys want to hear Do you guys want to hear buried the lead, dude. Wanna, yeah, yeah. That is hear. this. <laughs> Why didn't you just come out with this earlier <laughs> that's insane i'm sorry well, you know you got to give somebody like something to look forward to at the end of a podcast all right hang on hang on i think i think actually we need to we need to pause here because i think kylan's gonna want to hear this okay Ooh, okay might, i think i think you gotta hold on to this story until it I whenever kylan's hear with it. this i'll hold on to it that, that's a good cliffhanger i like it yeah so i think in, until then we'll just leave the listeners wondering if they ever got out of the escape room <laughs> Or am I still there? We we might Spencer be Spencer right there with you. That's Spencer potting in with you yeah. in the escape room. <laughs> you just moved into the escape room. That's just the build. That's the house you bought. That's just where like, you live now. Yeah. <laughs> it's in DC. You know, there's a couple of escape rooms here. All right, so folks, stay tuned in to hear the story of the crazy escape room with Hoog, wife, and Spencer Chamberlain. And when we come back, Kylan's going to weigh in on Flopper Bop. And then we're going to get into this record. We will be diving in when we come back. So stay tuned on Part B of Church Jams Now. Welcome back to Church Jams Now. Woo! We're ready to dive in. Church Jams Now! To find the great line by Under Oath. And if you heard that sultry, sultry voice doing the vamp. I'm back, baby. You'll be thrilled to know that Kylan's <laughs> back with us now. I'm playing the TJ part. That's right. Church teams now. <laughs> so Josh, I know you you wanted to ask Kylan something. I did. I did. According to what I think and what I remember, Kylan, is I feel like this was a big record for you too. So I want to give you the space to talk about it, but I also want to hear about it personally. Um. Yeah. Okay. Uh. This album came out what 2006. Yes. Yeah. So I was a big metalcore fan in 2006. Uh, he is legend, Devil Wears Prada, all that I was in. Uh, and They're Only Chasing Safety was sort of my introduction into the heavier kind of stuff. Before then, I was into definitely what you would call screamo, 
heavy on the emo, but with screaming like Silverstein, uh, Scary Kids, Scaring Kids. Was in a lot Hawthorne of that, Heights. Hawthorne, of course, Hawthorne Heights. You can me? I got I got in trouble because my parents found my Hawthorne Heights CD and they printed out all the lyrics from Google. Busted. <laughs> printed. <laughs> Cut my up. wrist and black my Love eyes. That. This wow. isn't very godly. We. It's like need to have a talk. It's like an intervention. That's yeah, it was. It was my emo, my emo intervention. <laughs> if you think about it, that's almost exactly what Jesus did, though. Those lyrics. <laughs> yeah, that's mm. true. That's true. It's quite Christ-like. Well put, Hook. Man, if only fourteen-year-old well me said. had had the wherewithal to. But okay, <laughs> to that, that actually that. is is a really good segue because Under Oath was one of those bands that then I could come to my parents and be like. I know you can't understand what they're saying, but they're talking about Jesus. Spencer's singing about his drug problem, but with <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, Define the Great Line was like really big because it was like, oh shit, this album is heavy from the beginning all the way to the end. I used to just like jam this in my minivan, windows down, rocking out, driving up into the, like the church parking lot. Jamming under and 06 like, Kylan was so cool. I wish I knew him. I was. What kind of minivan did you drive in 06? It was a Kia 07. Sedona. Ooh, Kia Sedona. Okay. No, wait. Oh, sorry. In 06, no. In 06, I still had my Volkswagen Golf. So I had a red Volkswagen Golf with an aftermarket sound system and a, a muffler on it. That oh, was yeah, dude. So loud. It was so loud. It was <laughs> Un- rad as unbearably hell. loud. It was rad as hell, dude. Yeah. So uh, So that's mostly like my remembrance of this album. I got to see Under Oath in 2006 uh, touring for this album in a place in Fayetteville, Arkansas called the Music Hall. It was like a little hut, basically, with a concrete floor, <laughs> like one of those like shit punk venues. Uh, was the first place that I ever played. But this place could maybe legally fit 100 people. What? And wow. that show... I don't think they knew what they were getting into. It was yeah. It was Under Oath. I think uh, weirdly, Jonesetta was opening for them. Oh, oh wow! Yes, uh, I love Jonesetta, dude. There were literally like fucking six hundred people at this show. I yeah. like almost got my nose broken. I, <laughs> I had my glasses were broken at that show. I mean, it was like literally like like those videos you see of like. Japanese subways like <laughs> like pushing people in because they cannot fit anymore. That Sardines. was this place. I don't know how this place didn't Amazing. get shut down for that reason. Uh they got shut down well, years and later for So was that things. like really like on the tail end of like them playing those size venues before they had to upgrade to bigger ones because I think they were playing bigger venues. I think though in Fayetteville, Arkansas, that was it. Hmm. So this was just you know kind of I mean? a fluke like, because that's all there was. Right, exactly. And and that that space, like, because big bands didn't ever come through Arkansas at that time. Right. I had to drive two hours to Tulsa or four hours to Lawrence, Kansas, or down to Little Rock. Um, but Northwest Arkansas, there was nothing there. But the, the music hall really, like, kind of established itself as this heavier, like, hardcore punk rock kind of venue. Like, mm. um, so the wedding... Uh, they yeah, were band. my youth group band when they were easier set and they got their start at the music hall. And I can see why under oath is like a Florida band would be like, no, we're playing Fayetteville. Right. We just got to find a venue. Yeah. 
And they didn't, like you said, maybe they just didn't know what they were getting. For sure. But that show was rad as fuck. I will say that. (laughs) (laughs) It was like so good. So do you think this album is going to be a flop or a bop? Well, I can't say because because now I've listened to it. Well, you could have you you given the illusion of... A bop, for sure. Okay. (laughs) Good, good. Right. But who knows? We got to actually talk about the album now. Yeah, we got to dig in. Well, thanks for giving us your two cents. Of course. I got plenty of cents to give you. I'll give you a lot more than two. So let's start with track number one, (laughs) In Regards to Myself. God, I could listen to that intro, like, on repeat for my whole life. It freaking blasts off. Like, this album comes out so strong, so heavy, so fast. That's a great way to put it, blasts off. That's what it feels like. Yeah, into the stratosphere, man. So good. Uh, Is that intro in 5-4, or is it just sound (laughs) overly overly complicated? I watched a video that tim did only a couple years ago is after erase me came out but he was like playing it was like for alternative press and he was like playing a couple of riffs he said spencer actually wrote that riff and it's in some weird time signature he doesn't even know but the funny thing about tim is that he like doesn't know any music or guitar theory he's yes. totally an ear and like a feel weird. guy which yes like that's that mind-boggling so to me how you can be a professional musician and be like, I don't know what a G chord is. Like, yeah, that is, <laughs> but it I, works I was actually, so well. I was going to bring up the exact same thing because as you're listening to this album, the more you pay attention to his riffs, the more you realize like proficient or you know effective proficient professional guitarist is not the right word for Tim McTagg, right? Like, no, he right. he is just like noise and sound and he, chaos. He and is vibe, chaos right? He's bottled chaos. up. Yes, yeah. yes. Dude, and I think chaos, the intro to In Regards so to Myself is the best example of that, maybe on yes. the album. It's it's yes. it's so intense. Well, yes. that's what because I wrote I wrote this chaos is such a good opening, and it it feels like to me like basically saying like, hey, we're not doing the super poppy; they're only chasing safety, right? But it feels like a really interesting progression or evolution of the band. Uh, like really just in your face, like this is what we're doing now. And the changes in this song, just up and down, just keep you engaged the whole time. Like there's no real like verse, chorus, verse, chorus sort of progression. It's just, right. we're doing whatever the hell we want. And I love it. Yes. And in that, they do things that are, in this song, they do things that are really catchy. It is chaos after chaos after chaos, like different iterations of that. But each one is really interesting and really catchy. That's what I found on this mm-hmm. song. As an opener, especially, it was super effective. Yeah, and, and talking about catchy music, like um, something I noticed, you know, not not to give away the entire record, but um, Tim and his guitar playing sort of, you, you find like a, a rhythm and a repetition to the way that he does stuff in this album. And I think in mm-hmm. regards to myself is a really good example of that, where he does like, I remember this from the old days of trying to learn his guitar riffs, where he'll kind of do like, a couple power chords that are really low on the neck and he'll kind of yeah. play a couple of those and then he'll go way up high and play like a very dissonant. It's mm-hmm. not, I don't even think it's a chord. It's just like a, just and he sad. does that in, in, in regards to my, yeah, it's a noise. And I think he sets that precedent at the beginning where repeated to through the song, it's just like, mm-hmm. and as you listen to the, the rest of the record, 
He does that very frequently. Yes, he does. I yeah. yes, yes, he does. Yeah. That's like I mean, you could you could name that as like the Tim signature move, maybe mm. like musically, definitely sure. in this album, which is which is kind of cool. It's it's neat to as a musician to to be able to acknowledge that in another player, be like that's that's a signature thing that you do. Mm-hmm. Like we could even probably cite. Well, everyone in this band has their like influenced by that. signature thing. Uh, right. And I think as we notice them, I'll, I've got some other things that I want to bring up, some of those signature things. Another signature thing, and DJ or Hugh, you talked about it, but that we have, for the first time on this podcast, we have linear song structures. Like mm. That's just such a refreshing change of pace compared mm-hmm. to everything we've been listening to. But even just like in that genre, and we talked about how like, everyone kind of copied the under oath formula, but like people were still doing verse, chorus, verse, chorus, but under oath just kept with their linear song structures. I think there's like three songs on this record that have like something you could call a chorus, which is just, Mm -hmm. that just makes it so fun and easy to listen to because everything is a new part and it's just always changing, but it's always cool. So I, I love that. Like I was something I was aware of, but whenever like digging into this record, I was like, wow, so everything is just a linear song structure, and I loved it. Mm. Yeah. I love that you brought that up, Josh. Linear, like that's—I think that's a good word for mm-hmm. a lot of their songwriting across this album. I Something else I think came up in this song was like, uh, if we're going to say that everyone has a thing, like Spencer sort of identified his thing as like these very heavy moments, and he did this one thing in, in regards to myself that he does through this record, and he continues to do today through voyeurist and his later records is he (laughs) he just identified this sort of animalistic introduction to heavy riffs where he just does this like roll sound like over and over like whenever they're getting to a heavy part there's like and then it just goes into something heavy and they continue to do Mm. that through this entire album and i think that's kind of become part of his personality as as a frontman as well for sure well and it's such like a change like his screaming style and this after what he did on chasing safety. And then he just comes out and is like, I'm just going for it. Yes. On this I love that. This feels to me like, like the defining Spencer record for under oath. You know what I mean? He like this. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like he really put his mark and his stamp on it. Not so much, you know, like he really sort of defined his sound, like as a front man and as a screamer on this that I don't think he necessarily was allowed too much on their only chase and safety. It's like the sophomore album gave or not sophomore technically, but right to maybe to mainstream audiences gave, gave him an opportunity to kind of blow those expectations wide open and, Mm -hmm. and and really do something that's unique and, and more genuine and authentic to his style. And it seems like what we're saying is everybody had an opportunity to do that in their own way on this record. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, we got anything else about in regards to myself? Pretty cool. This song got two TJ patented thumbs up. Oh, wow. Two thumbs <laughs> up. Should. Right. That's good. That's good. I like the way you're going, that's, TJ. That's, that's a good start. Strong All right. Start. Let's move on to track number two, A Moment Suspended in Time. This 
song transitions so well. And That's almost what I every said. song on this record oh, yes. transitions so well. Yes, and I have a thing about that that I'm going to talk about later too, but all the transitions were super cool. I, I think the intro to the song is a good uh, kind of subtle environmental thing. Um, a lot of this album that I remember, you know, from my childhood is like Spencer and Aaron's lyrics, the like really loud guitar riffs. But in the intro to this song, there's a very subtle lead guitar uh, lead um, um, riff that is like one note, one note, one note. And it's kind of a very minor sounding atmospheric more than like a really aggressive guitar lead or like power chords. But if you listen to it over and over again, you start to realize that that sets the mood for this song as opposed to like, let's just tear shit up. Um, and, right, I, and I really right. appreciated that. So on my second listen to this album this week, I was like, oh, that's really nice. Like that, 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 that's really tasteful and, and artistic. Mm. I appreciate that. Cause you're saying they do it in a more, they're attempting like, not just like going for the easy low fruit of like, we're just going to be heavy for heavy sake. Like they're coming at it in a very musical way. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 very emotional, you know, as opposed to like trying to play a really fast, aggressive lead. It's like wow, 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 almost like a western sort of. Let's bring an environment to this, and I. Whoa, okay. that's cool. All right, I like that perspective a lot. To give it like a tonality, like that, like an atmospheric. Tonality you know, is a good word. Aesthetic, yeah. yeah, that's that's really cool. And I listened to this album for, you know, 15 years before I heard that lead to, to the, the beginning of the song. Right. I love when that happens. Yeah. When you can hear something you you've never heard before. Yeah. yeah, there's stuff to come back to. Man, I just listening to, like, assessing this album critically, like, I was just so struck by, like, how this song in particular, but just how Undroth in general just marries the melody and heavy simultaneously, like, so well with how they intersperse Aaron and Spencer's vocals through the whole record because mm-hmm. like we talked about I always I'm just talking about how like how all the warped tour bands and the scene bands would just do like heavy vocals on the core on the verses and then clean soaring vocals on the on the choruses but it's just like Aaron and Spencer just trading off and that just keeps it from sounding ex- something expected like it's a real Prada thing, like, oh, they're going to go to the chorus, and Jeremy's going to sing this real sweeping high part. Like, you kind of expect that to happen. But here, at any point in the song, Aaron could be singing, Spencer could be singing, mm-hmm. or screaming. Yeah. Like, anyone could be doing anything, and it just works so well. Yeah, and, and I think that that sort of attitude for writing music kind of set the bar for me going forward from this album, where I, I, I had a note about... Um, how that part that we, uh, towards the end of the song, where it's like, I've got to be dreaming, you've got to be dreaming, we've got to be dreaming, is, I think in a way, sort of a throwback to their older music, where it mm-hmm. is more of like a standard, like, okay, clean vocals, then heavy vocals, then clean vocals, then heavy vocals. But right. here they seem to mesh it a lot better, where you don't really notice the change between the two, as opposed to insert your other metalcore band from the late 2000s where it is like okay we're screaming and then now we're singing and then yeah, now there's we have a, a predictable structure right and i came to to revile that that we're talking about because you know this this song and this album kind of show that you don't have to do that if you're if you're good writers and it can still be effective songwriting mm-hmm. that's cool at 134 there is a super sweet snare roll Guys, I might be transitioning yeah, away from sweet, cool. sweet bass to sweet, sweet snare rolls. Dang, Aaron's <laughs> taking uh, it over. That might be my new thing after beautiful letdown. Uh, mm. Yeah. Sweet, sweet, you sweet s- snare rolls. You seem uh, to like that snare action these days. I do, man. 
Uh, and then in the outro in this, is the snare when they're like building up to it? I can't figure out if the snare is doubled or if it's delayed or if it's supplemented with digital snare. But I've always wondered if it was Chris doing something or if it was some additional percussion. But either way, it's so rad. No, that, I guess that, part, that part is something I have always loved about this song. That intro, that yeah. rhythm that comes in at 326. Like, mm-hmm. I've always loved that part. It's just like such a simple thing, but it works so well. And I love that they just keep it going with the outro. Like, we're going to spend some time on this. Yep. Y'all are going to be real mad at me, but I got one thumb. Ooh, as mad. opposed to two thumbs what? or zero thumbs. Yep. Why, TJ? Uh, so I'll show my hand a little bit. I think that I am not a metalhead. Oh, really? Like at all. I'm, wow, that's super surprising. <laughs> Shocker. And I think that it takes a lot for me to listen to an album like this that y'all are really challenging me to think about differently. So thanks for that. But on my own, listening to an album like this, it's really hard for me to find things to hook into because what I've realized about my myself as a listener is that I need a little bit of melody throughout in different points in the song. And like we've said, to their credit, they decided to write songs that are linear. And I think that that's you, you, you all are challenging me as a listener to consider that the linear songwriting is intentional and is purposeful and is effective um but but for me listening to this song because it's just like ideas all slammed up against each other and they called it a song that was hard for me to like stick with that was hard for me to hook into and so i like each idea i thought each idea was effective and was fun but then like at the end of it all i'm like well what do i remember about this song and it's maybe that snare roll that you're talking about Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what that's what well, stuck dude, with me and i that's also it. wrote i was kind of bored with this song mm, okay yeah. overall i think you and i are kind of on the same page a little bit with this yeah there was nothing that i could hook into and then call back to like right. melodically or uh, a progression that's not to say that it's a that's weak funny because this like, one actually kind of does have what you could call in air quotes like a chorus because they do actually repeat like the I've gotta be dreaming part. So I'm surprised That's that, that didn't like that didn't stick with you. Yeah, no, you're right, Josh. I, I don't know why it didn't either. Because yeah, that's that's a good point. So yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll come alongside you a little bit on that one. That uh, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but like in the first half of the album, if you had asked me without re-listening to this record, uh, describe the difference between a moment suspended in time, there could be nothing after this, and uh, you're ever so inviting. I think mm-hmm. even after knowing this album for more than half of my life, I still might have a hard time describing the difference between those three songs. Yeah, that, that makes me feel great. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, like, I, and they had videos for some of those songs, and you could go back and watch them. But like, while they are part of the entire environment of "Define the Great Line," yes, it, it's hard for me to go back, you know, ad hoc and be like, "Oh no, this is the song where they say I've got to be dreaming, they've got to be dreaming." Right, um, yes. to distinguish one song from another yes. is very challenging. I don't yeah. think that applies to the rest of the record, but for this part that we're talking about, I'm I'm on board with you. I uh, one thumb cool. up. Yes, I, I hear you. That's helpful. That's helpful. Yeah, I so I wrote this note for you ever so inviting, but I'll bring it up here. Yeah, I wrote there's no way I could keep these songs straight if I had to play them. Mm-hmm. Like yes. There's a, and then like snare rolls and like it all just 
blends together. TJ, kind of like yes. you were saying with cities, like the whole kind of first part of cities by Anne Berlin, it all kind of blends together. Blurred, That's kind yep. of how I felt about the whole sort of beginning of this record. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Something I said time and time again on this was experientially, this is great. Analytically, I'm having trouble appreciating it as a music listener. I'm just like, okay, this is cool. This is cool. This is cool. It's almost like it's very imminent. It's very of the moment, uh, engaging, but, um, analytically I'm like, I don't know how to sum all this up. Right. Josh, what what were you going to say? Well, okay, so I'm going to agree with you guys on these songs kind of all going together in a way, because mm-hmm. that's kind of how I've always, like, it's come across as to me, too, for these first four songs. I'm in regard to Six Out, and I think you're ever so inviting Six Out to me, but I mean, mm-hmm. you can make the case that all these songs kind of run together, but I think for me, I think it, it turns into a positive is that it's not something like, oh, I've heard a moment suspended in time so many times. It's almost like because you can kind of get lost in them and not know which song is which whenever you do listen to the record again, like it's not like something you're like, Oh, I've heard this. I'm so tired of this part or this song. Like it, you kind of get to experience it and kind of get lost in it every time you listen to it. So yeah, I, like I think of it as a positive and totally like, yeah, these songs have kind of all felt like kind of just like real flowy into each other. But I think these four are so strong and so good and they're all two thumbs for me so i wow, it, i okay. do get that but I, it's a positive for me nice i like that I like that's that. cool yeah yeah that's, that's a good way to think of it but yeah i do kind of partition this album into different sections and we are in the midst of one of them mm-hmm. now so, yeah yeah for sure well let's keep moving on in this section to track number three there could be nothing after this I just want to go ahead and say that anytime I can like actually follow Aaron's drumming, <laughs> I am such a massive fan of it. Dude, I know. I wrote God, that too. I, yes. I said Under Oath has always been a drum heavy band and this intro is just great. It brings it, man. And there's those moments where he loses me because he's so darn good. Uh-huh. And he's also it's not singing. because he's bad. He's like singing half the time that he's, he's doing singing. it too. It's crazy. It's insane. The musicianship in this band is, it, it, yeah, it can't be understated. I was actually really hoping that uh, you, TJ, and Kyle, and the, the drummers in the group would weigh in on that, because I had a note about the opening in this uh, song. It, it's just so, it seems like it's transitioning from, like, I don't know if it's time signature to time signature, but at least, like, emotion to emotion, and kind of, like, mm-hmm. standard to For non-standard, sure. to standard to non-standard. And I had a note about just how interesting this drum opening is. I, I'm not a drummer at all, but I was hoping that you guys would would notice that as well. So that that's awesome. It's, it's a really great it's intro. So good, oh, yeah. dude. Yeah, it's I got. Good. I'm playing it back just for us because it's just so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do and, it again. And we just have to. We'll have to get into Aaron's drumming as a whole at some mm. point. It's it's big on this record, man. Yeah. Whenever I first got into Undroth, I think I like the vocals and the drums were really. Like I feel like it took me some time before I started noticing the guitar parts as a I think that's like, most people being guitar parts is just part of the music, but I was like so keyed in on like 
Aaron is a monster drummer, and Spencer and Aaron's vocals together are just like crazy. Well, I think that like- that was kind of the defining thing of Under Oath. I think for a long time, for me as well. Like I didn't key into any of the guitar stuff for the longest time. You just have yeah. those crazy drum fills and the vocals together. Mm-hmm. So if I could put in a hot take here, uh, this is my least favorite song on the album. Oh, wow. wow. Why is that? Okay. Coming in early, too. Um, yeah, I, I think it was coming in a little earlier than I expected. Um, I, I remember parts of this song, but again, if you told me the name of the song, I wouldn't remember it at all. Um, I think that all the times where they're, I, I think their goal was to sort of make you feel like an emotion or feel heaviness or chaos it kind of fell short for me. So the part mm-hmm. where they're saying, mm-hmm. um, well, actually, that's part of the issue with this song is I can't understand what they're saying very well. But when Spencer says, oh, God, everything, everything, that's supposed to be like a very heavy, chaotic part of the song for me, and it just fails to capture me, honestly. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the song, I don't remember the lyrics, so I can't really catch on to you know Aaron's clean vocals um, and any time where Spencer comes in and tries to create like a heaviness or an intensity, it fails to really capture me like a lot of the rest of the album. So that was kind of a surprise for me re-listening to it a couple times. was like, hmm, on its own, I'm not sure I really love this song. Yeah, that mm. makes sense. Hmm. I definitely, I can, I can see where you're coming from. I, in general, what I'm, what I'm realizing too about my sort of listener relationship to Under Oath is the more... Spencer does those like kind of low, dark, growly vocals, the less I like it. And Kylan, I love that you mentioned that like this album was his opportunity to kind of get out there and do what he does and that that's a part of it. And I think I just don't personally care for it. And that's why I have to say like, if y'all need to revoke my metalhead card, like <laughs> you never had a metalhead so, card. That's fine. <laughs> that's the I thing. know. You it's never all had perception. A <laughs> it's all perception. I never, so like, I never was like that. You know, here's the things I know about TJ. He's one of my best <laughs> friends, and he loves metal. Like, <laughs> one of these things is metal. true. One is not. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So, so it's just to qualify my statement. Like, I don't like it because I just don't like it, not because it's objectively bad. But that took me out of this song as well. So I can kind of see where you're coming from, Hoog. Where it, there was just like. A little bit less that grabbed you, but I'm yeah. I'm wondering what Josh thinks because you were you were kind of arguing for this section of the record, and maybe you can sway my opinion a little bit. No, I mean I think of the first four opening songs that are a piece that we've kind of all agreed on. I think this one is the least extraordinary. There's the least okay. to grab onto with it, like maybe the most forgettable you could kind of say. Mm. But I still like enjoy it when I go back because yeah, I forget. I'm like, which one is this one again? And then because I remember, I'm like, this is the one that has the outro, where it has like when it goes into that outro. I guess it's in like the pre gap because my CD player would always like when the clean guitar comes in for the outro, it would say track four. But then <laughs> when you would go to track four and your CD player would start playing, you're ever so inviting. So it's like mm-hmm. a weird. I'm like, this is the song that has that weird pre-gap. Like, that is so true. Kind of thing. I, I remember yeah. this as track four, not You're Ever So Inviting, <laughs> and I don't really know what comes along with that, but in my you know, uh, Pontiac Montana minivan in 2006, 2007, this was track four. <laughs> minivan <laughs> crew. Yeah. Maybe oh, we yeah. should add minivans to the uh, CJ and Bingo crew. CJ and Bingo. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Talking about our minivans. That's so. true. But yeah, I... 
I do like the part that uh, at like 30 seconds, they go into this weird like experimental part where it's like just drums, Spencer, and like and, Chris. And what? And what else? I did love that. What else is in there, Josh, at 30, uh, 32 seconds? A drum machine, a synth, something like that. I, I wrote Sweet Sweet Bass. Sweet Sweet Bass. That was the first <laughs> instance of Sweet Sweet Bass because oh, that was the first okay. time the bass was any kind of noticeable. Yeah, Grant right. doesn't really months, get a it's lot not a, of... It's not a important bass record. No, uh, the bass is just kind of holding much. everything down. But there are a few moments where it kind of shines through, and that was one of them. That was one. Got our sweet, sweet bass. This one got one thumb from Tej. Yeah, I agree right, with the one right. thumb. Yeah. All right. Well, okay, so I don't love this first part of this record either, but I noticed something towards the end of it. You have to remind me. Uh, I have the note on returning empty-handed. So if I forget to talk about it, remind me. I have something that that may sway your opinion a little bit. So I'm teasing it. All right. I look forward All to right. that. Well, speaking of looking forward, let's look forward to track number four. <laughs> <laughs> Seamless, man. You haven't used any of the titles as like a pun. I know. I, I didn't want to get in the way. I thought you would uh, have a heyday with this, so I'll try to up my game. There we go. Track number four. You're ever so inviting. So the intro to this song like wakes me up a little bit from the sort of casual nature of the previous two songs. I love that you can listen to those last two songs and be like, that was pretty casual. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, man. Like I was thinking, you know, as I'm listening to this song on my headphones and in my car, I'm like, Jonathan, you have to put on your critical hat. You have to be super critical <laughs> because you love this album and you cannot love every song on this album. So find something <laughs> wrong with it. Proud uh, he says you can't love every song. Who says you can't? <laughs> me. I do love every song. But, you know, this one kind of wakes me up from track two and three, where, like, you know, it kind of, I'm starting to kind of drift out a little bit. And then he just comes in with the, the time has come for you. And I'm like, okay, I'm here. I'm back. Like, I'm absolutely back in this album now. Hmm. Uh, the, the big thing I noticed on this song was the mix on this album is great. And I yeah. feel like the mixing of this album was in a lot of ways the sort of like genre defining mix right like mm. the way Kylan, do you know why why because it's chris lord algae oh of hey. course it is of course it is <laughs> that that deserves a bingo slot too of course it is yeah just, can you explain that just... he he mixed one i think he missed mixed meant to live oh, on the beautiful okay. letdown so we, we talked about him a and lot, and like a thousand other rock songs yes. okay that everyone knows. But yeah, just um, the way that the drums are mixed, first off, like like you hear every bass note hit like very clearly. It's really sharp. The snare is like in your face and the guitar is just that kind of wall of sound. Like I feel like this did define the type of mix that every metalcore album after this for the next 10 years had. And I think that's great. Because you're so, a fan of it, right? Is what you're saying. So you well, like it, is what you're telling us. Well, I don't know. I don't. Let's let's not paint me in a box, guys. Um, 
This was the first song that I noticed there are lots of writing references in this album. Mm. Uh, they talk about desks and pages and writing. Uh, so I don't know if there's something there. That's about as deep as I get lyrically. I'm like, oh, no. he said he said pages. He said writing. He said desk. <laughs> like, We're writing songs. Nailed it, man. There's something. There's something there. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I I'm glad you brought that up because I I wondered to like the um the film reel noise at the very beginning of this album. We didn't say anything about it on track one, but just to bring that up, like I love that as a sort of a thematic, mm-hmm. you know, Foley moment where they're like trying to create like a an atmosphere, tell a story, and then you talk about writing, like, and then obviously down the track list, we've got a song that literally has that in the name. What song? Oh, I don't know. We'll get there. <laughs> but maybe, yeah, maybe there's sort of some yeah, lyrical ideas that they're 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 all pointing toward creation or the impermanence maybe of like created works. I don't know. There's a lot of like ephemeral uh references that I've caught throughout this album. Did any of you guys go back and watch any of the music videos for this album? Mm-mm. No. No. <laughs> okay. So I, <laughs> that's okay. Is this the I one actually where on the wires. Or? So in the first half of uh, the first uh, section that we recorded last week, uh, we kind of talked about how my wife would, my wife and I would kind of have a couple beers and watch music videos. So you know, uh, many weeks ago, um, we went down a track of after we saw them play their voyeurist tour, we watched their videos for "To Find the Gray Line," mm. and TJ, to your point. Um, I don't really know what they were going for with this, but they did, as I said previously, fly to Sweden and spend a obscene amount of money making videos for this album. I think You're Ever right. So Inviting was one in regards to myself, Writing on the Walls, and maybe one more. Um, and they were actually all, as you... A moment suspended in time. Great. Yeah, fantastic. So they all did kind of look as though you are watching the band through the lens of a camera. Not, you know, Not that you are sitting in front of them watching them play music, but it does look like rough and kind of artistic and as though I you, vaguely and, remember that from the writing I vaguely remember the writing on the wall video having that sort of like hand cranked, like overclocked yes. silent film kind yes. of vibe. Feel, yeah. And and I wanna say it was a moment suspended in time that even had sort of like time signatures and stuff impressed upon the uh the film itself. So it would have like you know, a clef signature over here and like a couple words from the album, you know, kind of coming out of someone's mouth. So I think mm-hmm. it, whatever it is that they're getting at, I think TJ is kind of observing that. Uh, whether it's about creation or, you know, we're observing a band inside of a sphere making music and putting it out for the world. I think whatever that environment is, they really manifested that in, in the music videos that they put out for this record. So I don't really know how to make that jive with this song, but um, DJ, I definitely think you're onto something. My note with the lyrics is that this is like, and kind of how I view lyrics in general, this is a perfect record for that because I think I talked to you about this in college one time, kind of. But I'm like, I have like really no idea what Spencer is singing about in any Under Oath song, and I like, (laughs) I don't know what the songs are about. And it doesn't matter, like, because uh, the way that, like, there definitely are some lyricists and songs that I, that connect with me, but most of the time I just appreciate lyrics for, like, their musicality. So as long as, like, lyrics aren't dumb, if they don't stick out to me as being dumb, or in this case, like, if they're artistic in a way, like, I know why you never take your eyes off of me. I've used my lungs for everything but breathing. I'm like, 
I don't know what that means, but it sounds cool. <laughs> it sounds and and like that's that's like the amount of lyricism that I really like. So I like when lyrics are musical and when they're done well like this, where it's like the perfect amount of vague where you could take it any way. And I'm like, that's that's exactly what I'm looking for. Like, don't tell me what your song's about and I'll just enjoy it for what it is. So Josh, I'm forever gonna refer back to this and ask you each album if it is the perfect amount of vague. Yeah. Some are <laughs> I love some that. Some are. I love that. Perfect. Yeah, because so, it doesn't get in. It's not like it's you're like, oh, this song is obviously about this, and then because that can sometimes color like when you listen to a song, like, well, if I'm not going through that or if I don't relate to that, maybe I won't enjoy this song as much. But then that totally removes off the table because like this song could be about whatever you want it to be, or you don't even have to pay attention to the lyrics. You can just enjoy it for hey. them being a musical piece of the song, like a guitar part or a drum part is. I see Vibe Guy Kylan over there lighting up. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I don't pay attention to any lyrics. Let's move on to track number five, Salmarnir. My favorite sword from Lord of the Rings. No, listen, I did a little bit of research, right? This is Icelandic. It's Russian. The well, the, well, the name title, title is Icelandic. The title, Icelandic. exactly. But he's speaking in yeah. Because I took a Russian. screenshot on Spotify, which is confusing. Because all it the lyrics confusing. are in Cyrillic or whatever. And yeah. I was like, oh, did my Spotify glitch out? <laughs> this is one of those where I, I thought back to that period of time, and it was like, okay, why? Like, why did they pick Russian? Why did they like pick Icelandic for the title right. of the song? And you know, to be yes. honest, I don't know if they thought about it too hard. Um, but they do every album. Or most of their albums, they have a song somewhere where it is like an environment setter. Um, and yeah. they're sort of setting the stage for what is coming next, whether that be Blue Note in uh, They're Only Chasing Safety, which mm-hmm. comes right before mm-hmm. their um, It's Dangerous Business Walking Out Your Front Door, one of their most famous songs. Or in this song, um, you know, Sal Marnier is setting up for the, com- the song that comes after. They're, they're kind of creating like an environment that they, I think, can replicate live. Um, and kind of create like a tension. So like if you guys have ever seen them live, they do it with all of these songs, whether it's the Blue yeah. Note, they play the Blue Note live, or back in the day they played the Blue Note live a lot. And it was a lead up mm. to It's Dangerous Business because everybody hears the intro to that soft song and they're like, oh shit, I know what's coming next. And with the song too, they would play Sal Marnier and they know what's coming next, right? Yeah, I read that this felt like an auditory palate cleanser. Yeah. Like I That's thought the exactly placement- what I said. The placement in the record is perfect. Yeah. Uh, I think you needed something like this. Yes. I was so grateful for the reprieve. Yeah. I wrote, I used to always skip this track, but it's kind of one of my favorites this time around. Hmm. Wow. Um, Interesting. It's like a, I wrote, it's like a creepy album leaf. Or if Sigur Rós <laughs> scored like a yeah. Platinum Dunes horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> Like if they uh, if, if Sigur Rose did the score to like the 2009 remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm well, here do, for it. I do think That's that great. especially Chris, their <laughs> keyboard player, is a huge Sigur Rose fan, and I think mm-hmm. that like some of the other guys mm-hmm. in the band are as well. So well, going I think back, he scores movies now too. Yeah, horror movies so, in specific. I think. I, yes, I remember him it. mentioning Sigur Rose as like an influencer. 
So yeah, and that was something where I always felt sort of lesser than because I would hear kind of my inspirational artists like Under Oath and Chris and Tim talk about like, oh, Sigaros, like they're so far ahead of everybody. And then I would listen to Sigaros and I'd be like, I, I don't get it. But whenever there's, it, right. <laughs> whenever there's like a little bit of Sigaros on this album, I can sit in it for a little bit because it's right. leading to something, right? Mm, so you like it as a sort of preface yeah. or like a preemptive movement an introductory component, not not as music in, in and of itself. Yeah, I can appreciate what Kylan's saying. We're like, this is one of his favorite al- songs on the album. Um, it's not necessarily one of my favorite songs on the album, but as a part of sort of like the center, like the kind of meat of this album, um, I appreciate it deeply. And I and I like I like what it makes me feel because I know what's coming next, right? But I can't go back and like unpack that and be like, oh, how did I feel the first time I heard this? Right. That's impossible. Well, I, that, I actually, that actually is a, is a good segue into what I was going to talk about on the next song that I teased earlier that might make TJ, uh, might, might give him a little more something to like hold on to. Uh, it, Bring re- it. it really hit me in after uh, Samarnir into Returning Empty Handed that like the segue was great and it was kind of like uh jonathan what you're talking about like how they used to do the blue note live uh it really hit me around this point that it feels like with all the intros and outros of these songs that they intentionally wrote it to flow as a live show mm-hmm. like like you, you can kind of feel where like they would maybe play like some of those pre-recorded intros and outros so like the band can retune or like drink water or you know what I mean? Like those things, like it was set up kind of intentionally like the whole album, like in between the songs and stuff feels like, like they really thought through how could we play this from like front to back as a live show. And that, that made sort of the chaos of like those first four songs like make a little more sense for me personally. Mm, like yeah. it made me kind of appreciate it a little bit more thinking of it in that, con- you know, I don't know if that's what they did, but I like to imagine that. And that kind of helped me like recontextualize what I was feeling at this point in the record on this. Listen, that, cause I haven't listened to this in years, you know, I think that's pretty reasonable. I mean, listening to Chris over the last couple of years, you know, I, 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 Chris, again, their, their keyboard player, Chris Dudley, uh, I think he consciously tries to play as much live as possible. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie um, Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping. <laughs> Did you guys oh, ever yeah. see that movie? <laughs> yeah. You know, where basically they had this whole joke about how in the late 2000s and the early 2010s, a lot of guys that were playing keyboards and playing tracks you know, they had this big setup, but they were just like plugging an iPhone in and playing pre-recorded tracks. And right. I, th- I think the band Under Oath and Chris Dudley in particular has, you know, at that time period, they, they made a conscious effort to like, yeah, this is an intermission, but like we're still engaging, right? Because like Chris, I think, is playing mm-hmm. those piano notes live and like, he's, right. you know, he's playing Wait. those synth lines. Hoog, you're saying that plugging in an iPhone is not the pinnacle of musicianship? <laughs> Depends on who you ask, I guess. But, you know, on Church Jams Now for Jonathan, uh, I'm going to mm-hmm. say that's not the pinnacle of musicianship, no. I agree. Two thumbs up. 
<laughs> oh, two, two thumbs up from Kylan. <laughs> I don't understand right. the thumb system. <laughs> there's okay. only there's only three options: two, one, or zero. So no, no. there's halves. There's it's halves. A five it's true. Sorry. There's fucking thing. Wait, how do you do a half yeah. to half thumb? Oh, I see. Okay, I see TJ doing one full thumbs up and one bent it's, over, it's, which is a half. It's thumb. very tricky. It's overly complicated, and it stresses <laughs> yeah. me out every time it's brought up. Well, listen. No matter how many thumbs you have, Kylan, I have on two. This next track, you're gonna return empty-handed. There it is. Oh there it is. All right. There he is. <laughs> Let's move on to track number six. Returning empty-handed. No, I did say this guitar progression is is the most. One of the more accessible or like easier to hook into progressions mm-hmm. for me across the whole album, possibly. And I think it's that classic Tim thing, like that we've mentioned, and it works. I have one note on this song, but I don't want to say it till everyone else has said their piece. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I think that Spencer's vocals at the beginning of this song are really interesting because they kind of remind me a little bit of how Dallas sounded. Uh, Dallas Taylor, their previous vocalist. Yeah. Where like, if you could, yeah, if you could call their old music before they're only chasing safety, grindcore or black, black metal or whatever you're going to call it. Mm -hmm. um, It's a very just like throaty, like I'm giving it everything I can as like a 24 year old metalcore vocalist. Right. And I really appreciate how hard he went into that to introduce like this latter half of the album. So um, I think that that's really unique and he did not do that very much in the rest of the album. I also will say I had a moment, you know, way back in like 2009, 2010, where there's like there's metalcore and then there's underoath, right? And metalcore mm-hmm. has you know a intro, a chorus, and then a breakdown, and then they work out of their breakdown and go into something standard, right? right. And I never thought of underoath as having breakdowns, but this song I think is the closest that in that era underoath ever came to having a breakdown. Whenever they do yep. the you know the floor is more fitting for my face, that's mm-hmm. the closest I, I think they have ever come at so far. Uh, to having like a traditional metalcore breakdown where you can mosh and you can hit people in the face, and I I, I fucking love it. I love it. <laughs> I that's so interesting because like I I thought of this song as having essentially two breakdowns or like a an evolution of breakdown, and so like maybe my sort of definition or how I think of breakdown is 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 different than than what you're talking about, Hoog, but um. I like that it it sort of for me had like two movements of breakdown and then in between there was like this ambient melodic section that I hooked into. So I mentioned earlier I need something that's kind of like melodically interesting or lyrically interesting and I can actually understand the vocal. I can I can click with the lyrics. Josh, you made a good point. Sometimes music doesn't need to connect with you lyrically. Um, sometimes I have that where I'm I become more a vibe guy like Kylan, but a lot of the time I really want something to like hook into mentally or, or, you know, lyrically, I, I want to occupy my mind with what they're trying to get across as, as artists. And so if I can't understand what they're saying, I kind of fall off. But what I loved about this song was there were a lot of moments where I could really hook into the lyrics and the, and the melody. And it, it kept me, really interested so i really like this track it might be one of my favorites wow okay 
I'll say this has never been one, like, I don't have any complaints with it, but it's never been one that I was, like, particularly fond of. I don't have anything I can come against it and say, but it's just, like, especially with, like, what precedes it and what follows it, it's just mm-hmm. kind of like a stepping stone track for me, like, okay, get me to, like, some of these next songs here, but I don't have any issue with it. The The hard part of this episode is like i've just listened to like so many podcasts of like of interviews with like chris and tim and stuff and i have like so many like <laughs> anecdotes on everything but sure. I, i'll try to keep them sparse but i was listening to one a long time ago uh with matt carter from emory talking to tim it was either on like the labeled podcast or matt's old podcast but he was matt specifically talked about under breakdowns and how they are different than other bands is like when they do a breakdown is that they just stay on that chord or that note, whereas like other bands, and Matt saw it as like a cheap way to like get people into doing a breakdown. Is like you do like the breakdown chuggy thing, but then you do it like with, while you're changing chords or something like that to introduce like some melody or to kind of like advance the song. But when Underoath does it, there's like nope, like you end up like if you're on the second fret of like that's where they're going to stay for that whole breakdown. And Hmm. so he and Tim talked about that, I guess as like something I think that they intentionally do or that's just what's something that they're drawn to. So that's just a little thing. I remember them discussing about what maybe makes their breakdowns sound a little bit different than other bands. Yeah. Hmm. And, and I, I think I was going to comment upon the, like the last kind of minute of this song. Um, very much that where they're doing the nowhere with every step and they just kind of, they repeat, they repeat, they repeat, and then you almost think that they're going to find their way out of it, and they kind of come back up, and then they just drop it again, right? And they go mm-hmm. back into the breakdown. It reminds me a lot of, like, some of the, the much heavier music that I listen to of, like, Signs of the Swarm, like Mashuga, really heavy deathcore stuff where, like, they'll play something incredibly heavy where everyone's supposed to be hitting each other and dancing and all that sort of thing, and then you think they're almost done, and then they just, like, drop it another step and slow it down, and everybody's like, oh, shit, here yeah. we go. The end of this song reminds me a lot of that sort of methodology. Yeah, and that was the evolution of the breakdown that I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. where they, it's like they, you think they've gone as, as heavy and slow, slow as they can go. Did. And then they get even yeah. sludgier, and you're like, all right, cool. Yeah. yeah. So I, I like that about it. That was cool. Well, all right, what do you got, Kylan? What do you. <laughs> I wrote, it was apt that they said, this is getting old in that breakdown. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. And they also said, this is overwhelming. I was like, I feel that. I'm so old now. (laughs) So you didn't really like it very much. I didn't love it, man. But, you know, it was, it was, it was all right. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Kylan is officially bored. I'm not yeah, officially bored. No, 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 no. I'm not. I am. <laughs> I am engaged, but tired. Engaged but tired. I'm a parent of a oh, toddler. Lord. Yes, that that is like your. Josh can attest. That is like your state of being always. <laughs> uh, let's move on to track number seven. Casting such a thin shadow. I am curious what y'all think about this one. Lyrics don't start on this one until 349. I know, but I loved it. All right. 
I think I'm in um, Kylan brain on this song because like it's just too long, and I I wanted it to be done. Like, Dang, I loved this song. I thought so it was cool. like it was I love so that we've good. inverted. <laughs> we have. I don't know what happened. That's great. Well, I, I switched to a different time zone, and now we got different vibes. Texas time, baby. Uh, this felt like, yeah, like explosions in the sky, Godspeed you black emperor for so totally. much of this, like definitely Godspeed you black emperor. I felt like with the kind of post hardcore guitar, that's like a very kind of specific tone and like style of playing. And that snare is just like so big, just in your face. I loved it. Yeah, it, it definitely is sort of the peak, like ambient post hardcore moment, I think on the album. And up until this point, I was really appreciating all of those components that they were bringing to the table. This song is where I get really tired of it, to be honest. I like it. I like it. But I want it to be about half as long as it is. And I also want the vocals to come in a little sooner. But I will say again, it's like experientially and like emotionally, I can see how it really fills an important space, especially in a live set. Well, that's what like, I, I could too. see that like, working like, super well. Back to like my live thing that I was talking about on the last song. Like, uh, this feels like a concert jam. Totally. Like it and I think it could like work a... really well. I think I'd feel differently about it in that setting. I mm-hmm. think I'd be like totally on board. It's when I bring my analytical mind to, to bear that I'm like, okay, I'm ready for the next track. And that's just, that's just me probably being too too critical but that was my experience listening to this song how many thumbs they got one wow wild uh i will say i think i appreciate this song a lot more than i did back in back in these days uh the late 2000s because like this Mm. uh, you know kind of talked about in the first session of like uh i had a hard time understanding sort of slower music um, when I was listening to it, not necessarily playing it, but if someone was trying to take their time and build an environment, I had a hard time understanding that when I was like, you know, hothead 17 year old or 16 year old. Right. And I remember back in the day, like I heard a couple of the guys in the band say this was their favorite song on the record. I don't know if that still holds, but way back, that's what they used to say. Um, and I never got it until I started listening to it again as an adult. Um, and there, I think there really are some of the best moments of the album on this song. It's not necessarily my favorite. I, I, I totally understand. Like, this is a long ass song, man. Like it goes on a long time. There's a lot of empty space, but I will say in the latter half of the song, when the vocals come in and they start kind of repeating those really like searing, brutal lyrics. Um, I think those are some of the coolest moments. You know, they, they kind of do that thing where they're, they sing a couple lines and then they'll have like a really big drum roll and then they'll just go back into that yeah. riff mm-hmm. and then they'll just drop back into that groove and they just groove yeah. for like right. six, seven minutes. And as an adult, I really appreciate that. It's, yes, it's that's awesome. Thing, like, yeah, I totally agree. I, w- I just want to say that. I totally agree. It's. I think I just got bored. But you're bored. <laughs> you're bored. Understood. Understood. You're, because I missed the part A of this, you're filling in the Kylan space. That's right. Like you're, That's right. you just like had to like it's a comfy seat, man. I, I now see, I now see the it Kylan is. space back over to you. It was never my intention to take it. <laughs> yeah, like as a 16 year old, I skip this track every time. This time yes. around, one of my yes. favorites. Wow. Okay, I really liked this song when I was a kid, and it it reminded me. There's a August Burns Red song called Meridian on yeah. Constellation, so 2009 yeah. album. That's yeah. kind of a similar vibe, and I I really liked those. Like those, I really liked that they took their time. They went on these like real 
exploratory things. And I think this is something, and TJ, did you bring the soapbox? <laughs> oh, yeah, I got it. Can, can you bring here, that wait. for me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll wait. Drag that thing over here. Here you go. Okay. I would like to use this as a wonderful reason, rationale, and in defense of physical albums and artwork in things here here because yes okay because because with this song because the artwork for this record like it's so expansive and it has like this guy like going through like the the salt flats and all this stuff like it has like so much imagery and stuff and as a kid like i was just like Mm -hmm. reading that booklet and for me this song the instrumental of it is like when i'm able to like imagine all of that happening so it feels Mm. like a journey like it feels Mm. like the journey that matches up to the artwork that's in all like the liner notes and like if i feel like it really puts me in the world that the album cover is like a window into and so like i can't if if i hadn't had that if i was just like listening to this song on spotify for the first time where i didn't have like all like the booklet to go through and like knowing all that artwork, like I could see it falling flat or it not being as interesting. But now like that's something I, I don't think I can separate those two with this song and making like putting me back to like looking through that expansive artwork and putting me like in that place. But I love that about this song is that it puts me in there. So I love the song. I'm glad that Kylan that you liked it and that it didn't feel like it was too long or too drawn out because I think I know that's why in that right? in that way it worked really well for me. I like that a lot. Yeah, no, that's I'm great, done with Josh. the soapbox. So you can take it back, DJ. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> got it. No, I love that, Josh. Thanks, thanks for bringing that. Um, I think you're you're challenging my lack of patience on that song. Um, it seems like we're you're challenging right. you a lot on this. No, that's fine though. Truly, and, and then you don't have like yeah, the CD are. to like look at the artwork though. Yeah, you know? correct. So I yeah, never, so. I don't think I ever even own this, honestly. Really? So, yeah. And yeah. I think wow. That, wow. And, and I think you think that, you're qualified to talk about it? <laughs> no, I know I'm not. There's Jeez no question Louise. about that. But Bro, uh, no, I, I love and the deluxe version. I'll go pull out right now. Go grab yeah. that sucker. Get your get your street cred. But the, even the title, Casting Such a Thin Shadow, this idea of like kind of crossing through a desert wasteland or something, like that's super effective and, and, and really reframes the song for me. You just blew my mind, Josh. Way to go. <laughs> Sweet. Let's move on to track number eight, Moving for the Sake of Motion. I wrote, God damn those drums. <laughs> <laughs> He's back, baby. Um, and a so sweet good. guitar Weedleys. Weedleys. This has so many sweet guitar Weedleys from Tim. So I wanted to take this opportunity to talk about, who you weren't part of this. We had a private text conversation going on a few days ago uh, where Josh asked me if there were any albums in which I preferred side B to side A because I'm pretty much exclusively a side A guy. And it was hard thinking of some Kesha's Rainbow comes to mind. But this album, man, this side B rocks. Like overall, mm. I think side B is way stronger than side A. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I, you know, I, I wasn't in the conversation. However, I think like about five or six years ago, um, as I started to kind of re-enter the metalcore metal scene, 
um, I realized that like I'm, I'm not trying to spoil anything in the future, but like starting at track seven and into track eight and therefore and and thereon really mm-hmm. is like the true meat and the true artistry of of this yeah. record. Like eight is not necessarily moving for the sake of motion is not necessarily one of my favorite tracks on the record, but could I ever forget like those drum intros, man? Like, Oh my God. I'm not a drummer. You guys are drummers. But like when I'm listening to that as a kid, I'm just like, who is this guy? Like this is, this is nuts. This is what a drummer should sound like. (laughs) They're iconic. Yeah, absolutely. And and if I could add in there, like, um, I think this is, I don't remember where this was said Uh, again to Josh's point, like probably on uh, Matt from Emery's podcast at some point. Uh, but their original producer for this album tried to oh, get. I'm so them glad to you're going to bring this up. Okay, do, uh, am I stealing your thunder, or do you want to? <laughs> no, talk no, about no. It? Please go for it. Okay, okay. So their original producer, whenever they went to record this album, they got to uh, number eight, which I think internally they called like the drum song or the drum intro song. Um, hmm. Their producer tried to get them to remove that intro and then that fill mm-hmm. at like you know thirty forty seconds, which are just absolutely nuts drumming. Yeah, uh, and whenever their producer told them that, they were like, "You know what? Peace. We're good." And then yeah. they fired him, and they got somebody else. <laughs> wow! Good. And they've Dude. never said who it was because I'm they not? so curious. Because, but Tim said, I think he's given clues that like was it Brian he, Eno? Like the, that producer. Yeah, that is Brian, Brian Eno. Eno. Yeah. He would never. Man, I can't imagine. <laughs> I would love that collab. Brian but, Eno produced under an album. <laughs> that would be. This was actually crazy. his idea. I think Brian Eno knows good drums when he hears them. Yeah, he does. So, did but they move to place. Matt Goldman? Was that who they moved to after this? Or yeah, Matt Goldman and Adam D. Okay, and Adam D. Yeah, yeah, both. Yeah. So, because they've never said, and I've tried to piece it together, but because he said like he like you could cut that, and I I know Howard Benson has this thought that whatever's the first thing you hear in a song should be like. It should be the most distinctive part of the song. Like you should hear the intro and know what it is. So I'm like, mm. maybe they were talking. Like maybe they was Howard Benson, and then they were like, they canned him because they're like, nope. Because Howard be like, cut that out, and we need to like get the most distinct part of the song first and foremost. But that drum part is so distinct. Yeah. So that I, yeah, that Howard Benson is my best guess as who that producer is. But they haven't. Mm. I every time Tim talks about that story, I'm like, tell me who that producer was. <laughs> but he doesn't. <laughs> it. Yeah. So. For those of you at home that are playing Church Jams now, bingo, or the drinking game, take a drink now that Josh is uh, talking about producers that no one knows. That's a couple drinks. I mentioned producers a couple couple times. That's true. But yes, it's true. But this is absolutely one of my favorite songs on the record. This song is so good. So good. I love it. Aaron does his like... The I call the oh my god passage where he's like oh my god I hate the me that I become like I just I love that from the first time I heard it and like that was just always like such a huge part for me but then as like as time has gone on I'm like this song is just so it's got so many good the drums are killer it's got Tim's some great classic Tim parts and like it just builds so well like I don't know I love this song one Hell yeah, man. I'm right there with you. So towards the end of the song where they, uh, Spencer has the, I don't know if it's, uh, they're not waking up, we're not waking up, something like that. I think this is one of the best reduxes of like at the beginning of, of this, um, when I was talking about those just like low to high power chords and dissonant um, noises that Tim creates. 
Um, I think that's one of the best iterations of that, where he's just like, <laughs> just over yep. and over and over ad nauseum. Uh, but I think it sounds so cool and just gives that like extra bit of chaos to Spencer's vocals. And I love that in the song. Yeah, that moment was really great. I enjoyed that. Um, speaking of Spencer's vocals, um, I really love the the lyrics on this song. I'm pretty sure it was... Cosa baloney, Marconi, Stromboli, <laughs> socks and trampoline. Yeah, that was it. Did I did I get it all right? I know yeah, that was perfect. Maybe there were some rough spots. I felt like can I was you, listening to the you, album again. Can you like yell it a little bit, like in Spencer's voice. Cosa baloney, Marconi, <laughs> Stromboli, socks and trampoline. No, I can't. I can't. That was, uh, yeah, you should have just started with that. <laughs> I appreciate the attempt, though. That was good. So when he says they're not waking up, he's talking about sandwiches. Is that what we're saying here? (laughs) Yeah, it's, you know, an allusion to the meat market. Um, It's a dying breed. It's a dying breed. The economy is is rough right now, and especially in 2006. (laughs) I can't hear the lyrics, Define define the great line. Is he talking about, like, a deli line? (laughs) Define the great great deli line. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You got to get a number. You gotta get a ticket. Pick that Stromboli. Let's jump to track nine, Riding on the Walls. Dude, you had a story you were going to tell us. I'm leading into the song? Oh, God, this is too much pressure. Um, okay, sure. So circa 2018, um, I live in Washington, D.C., for those of, of, of you that missed it in the first half. Um, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, um, we went to a escape room in D.C. and just kind of middle of a Saturday afternoon. And we were kind of hanging out in the lounge, just kind of talking, waiting for our thing to start. We were going to do a Friday the 13th-themed uh, escape room. Um, and we're big horror fans, so quite excited. We're playing a little card game. And uh, in walks this guy who's, like, wearing torn-up skinny jeans, like, double sleeve tattoos, and, like, this wide-brim fedora cap and long black hair. And, like, it's hard to describe DC. Like, there's a lot of cool people here. However, uh, you don't see people like that with a bunch of tattoos just kind of looking extra like that. Uh, around a lot so he walks in and uh, next to him is this really beautiful woman and they're just kind of a striking couple they kind of walk through and I like look at the guy's face and I was like leaned over to Laura and I was like that's Spencer and she was like who? I was like Spencer Chamberlain from under no. <laughs> and uh, she was like no it's, no it's not and I like looked at him again and I was like I'm, I'm pretty sure it is he sits uh, at the table next to us and I figure out who he is, and you know, I I, I usually don't bother popular people, famous people, but um, seemed like a prime opportunity. So I went over and talked to him. I was like, "Hey, man, you're Spencer, right?" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Uh, and I said, "Like, yeah, huge Under Oath fan. Um, really cool that you're here. Are you actually here to to do an escape room?" And he was like, "Yeah, um, we're doing the Friday the Thirteenth one." And I like freaked out. I was like, "Yes!" I was like, we're "Me and my wife, the Friday Thirteenth. <laughs> like, we're doing the Friday the Thirteenth escape room." <laughs> And so I was like, you know, this was kind of like more bold than I normally would be. But I was like, do you guys mind if we just kind of have a seat and chat? Because it was like 10 minutes to the escape room where we can occupy much of their time. And yeah, we like chatted with him and uh, his now wife. Or I, I don't know, they're engaged and they're now have a child together. I don't know if they're married. But um, 
we sat with him for a while, and then we ended up being in the same escape room. And we're running around this escape room, and then like occasionally I would like grab an item, and like closest person to be to me would be Spencer, and I would be like, uh, "Spencer, hold this real quick while I go do something else." And I would just like <laughs> hand it to Spencer Chamberlain from Under Oath, and he'd be like, "Oh, cool man," because I think it was his first escape room. <laughs> and so I, I was like, "Here, I, take yeah, this. <laughs> I, I gotta know, man. Like, is he good at escape rooms?" Uh, I mean, it was his first one, like, and you know, I they were clearly competent like you know i'm not trying to judge people on escape rooms i'm not very good at escape rooms my wife is an absolute genius at escape rooms and so it's hard mm-hmm. to judge by her standards but you know they were super fun and engaged um him him and uh his now partner um but it was just a very surreal experience because i'm like in my mid-20s at this point i've known who he was for like 12 years and i'm just like referring to him in the first person of like here hold this man hold this man like oh go look over there spencer take this you weird know? clue <laughs> like, this is like a moment of power i'm never going to experience again <laughs> so he was super he was they were the sweet they were as sweet as they could be and we got a little picture with him afterwards and then you know they went nice away. so that was very cool for me and and for laura that's so cool. Yeah. Incredible. How random. Were they even, were they playing a show? Oh, in DC dude. Or so this is, or? this is one of the crazier parts is like a, as they were leaving, you know, we kind of brought Under Oath back up and we're like, yeah, man, huge fans. Hope you guys, this is before Erase Me came out, before it had been um, announced at all. And uh, he was like, uh, yeah, man, maybe you're going to see us next year. And I was like, what? (laughs) Uh, And I, you know, I was kind of like, okay, like I'll, I'll come to whatever, you know, hopefully you come through next year. Fast forward, like maybe two or three years. And uh, again, my wife and I and a friend of ours, we end up at uh, King state, which is Tim uh, McTiggs, the guitarist coffee shop bar in Tampa, Florida. And uh, we go to get breakfast there. Tim, uh, Tim happens to be there at the time. He's having breakfast with his daughter. I don't really bother him. Cause like he's hanging, having breakfast with his daughter. Right. And uh, well, we kind of talk to him real quick, and we kind of get around to like, oh yeah, we met Spencer a couple years ago in an escape room. He's like, bro, he told us about that. He was like, he told us about like our his first escape room, uh, and like you know how much they enjoyed it. And I was like, what were you guys, what, what were you guys all doing up there? He was like, we were recording Erase Me. I was like, what? Oh, you guys oh, came yeah, up yeah. there to Maryland to to record Erase Me? And he was like, yeah, we were recording like you know south of Baltimore. And like we were all kind of staying in DC and we were secretly recording this album. And I was like, oh man, I got in on a piece of like Erase Me Under Oath history and I had no idea. That's great. That's that's a very cool story. I love it. They're all very nice guys, so yeah. friendly folks. This is like a classic song of like when I was a kid, I was like, I'm like I can't really like the single of the record. Like I gotta I gotta find like the cool song, like the cool deep cut that's gonna be my favorite so like i kind of like brushed it off but then just listening to this record over and over again i'm like this has got to be one of Undro's best songs like mm. it's just too good i love it's just, that it's so we've, good we've had like multiple examples of how like young contrarian josh just like didn't like things and now you're like this is the best <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean that's so and, great and it's one of those things like Obviously, Under Oath is one of those bands, like because sing- singles have a stigma to them. But Under Oath is not Absolutely. a band, at least at this time. Maybe they were for Erase Me, but they're at this time they're not writing a song like, okay, this is going to be our single. Like, like we talked about, they're like, we're going to make the record we want to make, and then obviously, like the label could be like, okay, cool, Writing on the Walls is the obviously the best candidate for the lead single, mm-hmm. and sure. for good reason. Right. So, like, it wasn't written 
for the purpose to be a single like singles typically are but right it's just so. a good song and it it's, happened to poke out as the lead contender for that oh yeah so good man i love like this song has so many great guitar lines mm-hmm. but like the vocal trade-off at one minute two seconds where like aaron's holding uh, like a high note just like he's just singing and holding one note while Spencer does his line and then Aaron sings his line and then Aaron goes back to holding a note and Spencer does his his line again before Aaron sings his like I love that trade-off and just having just like Aaron's like I'm just gonna sing and hold a note like how often do you hear that in metalcore and it works yes it's so good yeah it's really hard to separate the song like you were saying Josh from the experience of the time when it came out because it was just such a famous song you know in that scene um, and I, I have no reasonable estimate of how many times I've listened to this song from like 2006 mm. to 2010. Uh, but I, I know I listen to it all the time. And so I did my best to like put on a, a fresh cap and kind of re-listen to it as a new person. Um, I will say that I, I, I thought the Andros kind of stood out in this song where there's not a whole lot of, I, somebody could probably prove me easily wrong on this, but there's not a whole lot of songs on this album that start out with uh, clean vocals. I think a lot of them kind of go for like that really aggressive punch and then they bring Aaron in later. This right. one kind of flips the scripts where they yes. start with the clean vocals, a really light drum riff, and then Tim comes in with that like bizarre, I have no idea how he wrote it, like high up on the ninth, tenth fret, like just finger picking. And it, like it makes no sense time wise. I have, I have no idea how to put it on a piece of paper. Uh, so that the first like 30 seconds of this really stand out as a uh, quite unique song. Um, so yeah, they may not have written it as a single, but I think when you listen to all the songs in in sequence, it stands out immediately as, as you absolutely. Yeah. I, I wrote like this track is a certified bop. Like it's the perfect (laughs) iteration of under oath to me. It checks all the boxes, heavy riffs, bonkers, drums. You made a good point that they start with, Aaron's vocals like or like cleaner vocals and then get heavy um and then it's got like some ambient components great hooky lyrics um there's the combination of like harder stuff and like melodic stuff um kind of like you mentioned earlier Josh and complete with a choral gang vocal section <laughs> like i it's i don't know for me this is under oath so like i love this song and it gets a two full thumbs way up okay well and it has all those parts and they were like we're gonna put this as track nine on the right like, <laughs> yeah like, what a bold work move so cool yeah, yeah this could easily have been one of the first four but they're like no this you gotta get wait to side b get to the back half and that's where you'll find right uh, writing on the walls and that goes back to kylan's thing about it being a strong second half album Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I think I agree. I think I I enjoyed the the back half of this album a little more than the the front half overall. And this one had a had a video too, right? Well, yeah, it, it was a pretty iconic video. I think where it was like them um, in like a, a cross sectional house, and they're all in different rooms, and there's That's sort right. of like a video playing out of like a kid in one room, and then like an older man in another room, and it's kind of like a really creepy, horror-y family living in like this cross sectioned house, um, and it's all too almost small. like an escape room, maybe almost like an escape room, it yeah. So if one could imagine starting on one section of the cross sectioned house, and Spencer's there, and then you have mm. to work your way out with Spencer. 
um, yeah, and, and I think it kind of, uh, I don't remember what words, uh, I want to say it was either Kyler and Josh that was talking about, like, it kind of was like a 1920s vibe where it's like old school instruments and stuff that's outdated, but they're like very beautiful brass pieces. And um, I don't remember what words you used to describe it, but it was much more eloquent than what I was saying now. Um, but very much like an antiquated vibe, um, but like this very modernized music over, over that kind of. It's, it's my favorite song on the record. Uh, mm. it's, I know it was like the big single, uh, but it's the one that I find myself mostly if I'm going to listen to something from this record, it's usually in regards to myself followed by, um, writing on the walls. It feels the, totally it feels agreed. the most, um, they're only chasing safety esque. And that, that lines up with what I said in part a of like, I loved that album and, and this one didn't land for me because I like under oath sounding like this, like you're saying, Kylan. And I also just love uh, in the bridge and stuff, the reversed guitar and piano, like reverse, reverse guitar and piano will always get me. <laughs> I, I will always yeah. like be super into it. It will make me like love a song, go from, you know, jump a letter grade, essentially. Jump <laughs> nice. a thumb grade. Yeah. <laughs> or a thumb yeah. grade. It gives, <laughs> it, yeah, it gives an extra <laughs> thumb. So I give this song three thumbs up. I think that's how Ooh, that works. Whoa. <laughs> that's a lot of thumbs. Wait a minute. You said you had two earlier. I don't. I, I don't understand the thumb system. I don't get it. I, it's it's very complicated. I understand. It's all right. It really and it shouldn't be because human beings have two thumbs. I know. It's tricky. Let's move on to track ten. Everyone looks so good from here. Oh, thanks, buddy. You're welcome. So let's talk about the song. <laughs> Well, we're staying very live on the back half of this album. A lot of energy, and I I want to give them points for that because I think they could have gone back down and done like another ambient thing. They chose not to. I know that's what I'm saying though. The whole the, I like that. the back. This one is furious. The back half of this record is yeah. just like its own thing. Yeah, yeah. It's also some very. Solid drums from Aaron. Again. So good. This is the first song with like a punk beat. He's so versatile. Uh, it's also maybe the first song uh, under a song with a blast beat, yep. which is at the end of the song. Yep. So if we're talking like the metal influences, yeah. like at the end, uh, I don't even know what the words are, but he just, I mean, Aaron just rips into it. It's like until the end of the song. And then they just stop. And so it's like, you know, they kind of are telling you where they're going as a band, where it's like toward the end of the album, and they're just like, okay, here comes a blast beat, which we've never done before. I think that's really right. cool. Yeah, I like that this didn't have like a long, drawn-out instrumental outro. It just like fucking ended. It's like, oh, yes. okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought the changes in this song were some of the most interesting uh, compared to some mm -hmm. of those like like tracks two and three and four. Although it sounded very similar to those, I... I thought the changes ultimately to me were more interesting. This is another one that to me had kind of like a evolution of what I'm calling a breakdown where they, they have a tempo and then they go a little drudgier from there, which is cool. I'll go out on a limb. I think this is probably my favorite song on the record. Hey, cool. oh, nice. and that, 
kind of speaks more to to my interest in heavy music in general. Um, mm. I mean, I love everything on the record, clearly. I will go so far as to say, for a long time, like, this song really defined what heavy music sounds like. Because this was before I, you know, knew a lot of heavier bands. This was the heaviest thing I knew at the time, aside from, like, what I now consider to be kind of dumb metalcore, like, like As I Lay Dying or right. something that I really don't like that much anymore. But especially, like, towards the end, you know, I don't, I, again, I don't remember the lyrics, but something like, through, slip through the cracks in the floor and then they just drop into like mm. this gent like absolute crushing genty breakdown mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. when as a 16 year old i was like what is this like what, <laughs> what is this <laughs> level of heaviness that i've never heard before uh and you know if i can share like one story about this song that i remember the first time i saw under oath it was the first like metal show i'd ever been to it was the palladium in dallas Hell and yeah. it was That's maybe like thing. 2007 um and towards the end of the set, uh, I was just kind of understanding this like metalcore thing and how it works with Christianity. And towards the, towards the end of the set, like they play this song. It's the heaviest thing I've ever seen. They turn almost all the lights off. And then towards the end of the song, like Spencer is on his knees, like his hair is all in his face, and he's pointing like a finger gun to the side of his face, like he's committing suicide. And I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> and so part of me was terrified watching that. I was like, this is horrible. But part of me was like, and I like this it. Fucking and I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is horrible. Oh no, I love Again. it. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> that is that stuck with me for 15 years, you know. I, and I still love that song. This song so much. It's just so heavy, it's so intense, it's so it's so uh, visceral. Um it's probably my favorite song on the record. Yeah. Hoog, I love that because I think this is my least favorite song. <laughs> wow. wow. And maybe and maybe this is like kind of what we talked about with disambiguation. You take un, you take Aaron out and I'm like, eh, okay. I'm not this like put Aaron like, let Aaron sing a little bit and then I'll be then I'll listen. So mm-hmm. maybe that's why like cuz I was like, ah, oh, Aaron's not in this song to like kind of spruce it up for me like vocally. So right. Like it's another one I don't have any like complaints. Like I don't think it's a bad song. I it just was the always the least memorable to me Interesting. and i don't know i'm not really counting somewhere near in with those i don't know where that falls with these but yeah this was one i'm like especially between like moving for the second mode or especially like the three that preceded it and then the cap that is to whom it may concern i was always like eh, it's kind of maybe it's like a pale by comparison situation that's so me, interesting well and to your point josh i mean i think that had the entire album been this, like kind of like Disambiguation turned out to be a couple years later, uh, I probably wouldn't have liked it. But I think it's more the placement in the album um, mm-hmm. where it is coming after a lot of very diverse music that they just, that decision that they made to just go into this like crush yep. of a song. You know? That's why I love it. I think it. that yeah. that, okay, okay, yeah. cool. Let's, um, let's hear it. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, okay. So it's been well established on this podcast. Like I know I feel like I'm I'm blowing Josh and TJ's minds right now that I'm like so here for the last half of this record. <laughs> like like usually it. I'm I just like it. at this point I'm checked out. I'm like I'm ready to go home. Let's stop. Let's end the Zoom call. I'm done. <laughs> but at this point in the record I'm like hell yeah. And I think exactly like you were saying Hook of like uh like where it comes in the record. Like, I think, because uh, usually a lot of the records we've listened to, I feel like, are pretty front-loaded. Like, you've got, like, a right. big opening track. Your single is probably, like, track three or something. And then you end on a really killer track. And you got a lot of filler. Those, like, tracks, like, eight, nine, ten are usually, like, pretty forgettable. 
Um, but this one, I mean, the fact that they have writing on the walls as track number nine, just like it just, especially after doing, you know, casting such a thin shadow to go kind of back into the heavy thing. Um, because like, I feel like this song, if it was higher up in the record, like, cause it sounds very similar to a moment suspended in time or there could be nothing after this in, in my brain. But the fact that it kind of comes after all these other interesting musical moments, I'm like a hundred percent here for it. That's really cool. I, I I've actually that. never thought about that in relation to like tracks two, three and four. I never thought about them being similar as all, but uh, at all, but I, I hear that now. And yeah, it, it is so much about placement. So yeah. good observation. Yeah. Kylan, I'd be curious, do you have any comments on an alternate track list at all? Because you're, you're celebrating the back half of this album in a way that is unprecedented for <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> and so I'm just curious, like, would you rather it be at the front and then you cut out the whole front of the album or like, uh, yeah, like yeah, that it yeah. sets you up for... Put in regards to myself on the back half and cut out the whole front half. Whoa. Ooh, all right. Like, so it's an EP. Basically. Yeah, an EP. it's a great EP. <laughs> awesome Um, got it yeah that's all i had for this song though anybody got anything else before we move on to the last track the last this one got one and a half thumbs wow (laughs) for the non-metalhead teach pretty good (laughs) yeah i liked it i thought it was cool um okay cool let's move on to the last track track number what is it 11 12 11 11 11 to whom it may concern Before we get into it, I got to say, the one thing I have about this is this is now the second album that we have covered in which the last track has the same title as a first track on one of my albums. Uh, so that's so the true. black and white affair EP from the truth about movie stars that I did while I was still in high school. Track I number one is called wow. To Whom It May Concern. This version is a thousand times better, <laughs> unlike the Sanctus Real situation. <laughs> I, I think, along with a couple other factors, that's a great reason to not name a song to whom it may concern. <laughs> yes. Because I can name off the top of my head, Emery has a song called To Whom It May Concern, I believe. And yes. guess yes. who else does? KJ52. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's kind right. of like reach up into the ether and just grab oh yeah it's like the most generic like like, yeah but you know i was 16 when i wrote it so i know that's not not an insult to 16 year old no for sure it is insult to incredibly like two year old under oath vague yeah (laughs) right right um yes and this this to whom it may concern is is way better than than my to whom it may concern I think it's the best one out of the uh, all four. I don't know about KJ52, man. <laughs> that might that might That's true. We haven't covered that might his. slap. You think that one could <laughs> sneak up and take take victory? I feel like this song is like the the perfect like anthemic closer for an album that has as much energy as this one does. And I love like the clean gang vocals like I don't know. There's like a, a element of finality to mm-hmm. it that feels really nice. Um, but I did again feel like you usually do, but don't right now, <laughs> Kylan. This song was too long. I got bored. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. 
I like the rise and fall of it. It has really good dynamic flow. And so I can't fault it for like wanting to stretch that a little bit and really create an emotive experience for the listener. I think it's entirely because I'm trying to listen analytically and I'm just like, well, they did this already Uh, that I I was getting kind of like fatigued. But Mm. um, if I was at a show and this was happening, I think I'd be 110%. You think you would now in 2022? Yeah. You'd be all about it? I think it. so. Yeah, I think I could go to a show and I'd be like, I see what you're doing. And I That's really funny because like I feel like if I saw this at a show, because I'm sweating my ass off in this bathroom and I'm just having flashbacks <laughs> of like all the like hardcore shows I went to and I'm just like, I at least get to sit down and I'm like, oh my God, if I had to fucking stand and listen to this goddamn seven minute song, I'd be, I'd be like, all right, they're almost done. Oh, no. They're not going to do an encore. I'm going to the parking lot. I'm done. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I, I would be in the upstairs balcony seats. Oh, yeah. And I'd be sitting. But I would enjoy it from there. That's good. Yeah, we did that at a Crystal Ballroom. My wife and I, we saw Taking Back Sunday a few years ago. And I never felt older than going to see <laughs> yep. them. And it was so fucking hot. And that I just wanted right. to sit upstairs and drink a beer. <laughs> uh, on that note, I will say that this song feels very much of its time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys remember like this era where it was like to write love on her arms, oh, anti-suicide yeah. movements, anti-depression, yes. anti-drug movements, stuff like that, which, which were good things. I'm not trying to throw shade at that at all. But uh, I find the lyrics to this song to be immensely cheesy. Yeah. It's on the nose. It's a little on the nose. I'm like, in a way that the rest of the record is not. We were talking about like most of the time whenever Spencer writes lyrics, you're like, well, what the hell are you talking about? But this song is very clearly about some sort of depression or suicide or drug, you know, drug uh, issue. And so I had a, I have a hard time overcoming the lyrics to this song. Um, mm. But were I to see it live 10 years ago, I see exactly where it fits into this environment. Mm-hmm. I agree sure. that if I saw it now, like if they had decided to play this at the show of theirs that I went to like a month or two ago, I would have been like, this is a little weird. <laughs> you know, like, this, is, this is not the environment that you guys are playing to now. So while I love this song on its own, um, there's a part of me that just wanted it to be like instrumental. Yeah. You know, or maybe like instrumental mm. until Spencer comes in where it's just like that that slow building and then just mm. if you want to guys want to go out on a bang go out on a bang but at the same time like we just finished a song track number 10 that just went out on a bang so it's like we're working our way up working our way up we get to the end of everyone looks so good from here then we drop for like five minutes right. just to get back to where we were before so if i'm putting yeah. on my super critical hat as a massive under oath fan i i don't really love the song as a part of the record i like it mm. but i don't I don't know if it was necessary. That makes sense. I get that. It's funny that you mentioned it, like enjoying it more as an instrumental, because I th- I think if I remember correctly, it was originally going to be an instrumental, oh, or man. like it was gonna like no Aaron oh. vocals, I guess, until Spencer comes in at the end or something like that. But then like uh, I like guess uh, they were doing vocals with Adam D, and like Adam D had to go to the bathroom, and then <laughs> while they were just like waiting for him to come back, like Aaron and Spencer were like, oh. They, they just like wrote some lyrics and maybe that's why the lyrics seem that makes so like much sense they don't fit as much yeah. yeah that makes so, so much like, sense it was originally i think going to be more instrumental and then the lyric maybe that's why the lyrics kind of fall a little bit flatter hmm. so wow I, d- I did not know that i never heard that but if if that is but actually that came how through it un- for you <laughs> if that's how it unfolded it's almost like you, you shouldn't you shouldn't understand. make the last lyrics of your incredibly like genre-defying album just written during a bathroom break 
Yeah. <laughs> Probably a good call. Guys, dad's out, dad's out the room. Throw some stuff down about suicide. Let's go. He'll never notice. Uh, I will say this song had some, <laughs> had some sweet, sweet bass. It was one of the, one of the oh, few moments. Oh, some yeah. of that, it's like very like of its time too, like the, the bass with like a pick. Uh, but it yeah. comes through in the mix, and so I got to shout it out a little bit. You mentioned you liked the bass on one other track. Uh, you mentioned some sweet bass on this yeah. one. You, for the first time in CJ in history, love the back half of an <laughs> album. And I got to know, man, does that clinch it for you? Does that make Define the Great Line by Under Oath a bop for you? Or does it still kind of flop, my man? I'm making you go first this time. I went back and forth on this quite a few times today. Okay. Uh, that makes me nervous. It wasn't as much of a, it wasn't like as in the bag as I anticipated. Because kind of similar to like the Switchfoot album, I remembered the big songs a lot in regards to myself, writing on the walls. I'm going to say, yeah, based on the strength of the of the back half and uh, on uh, Isildur, or what is it? Somewhere near... <laughs> Um, (laughs) 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 Uh, this squeaked by man this was a bop this was a bop for me man i was gonna say if we flop beautiful letdown and define the great line people are not i know people aren't gonna listen anymore like i know their opinion yeah this 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 squeaked by a bop uh it wasn't as uh a bop squeak it was a bop squeak it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't it wasn't as good as I remembered overall, but it was good enough to like to warrant a, another listen through. Well, and like I said, for me, the thing that really sort of switched my um, my understanding of it, sort of the context, was thinking of it in terms of like how from front to back this could be done live. I thought was really cool, totally. and that sort of changed the way I listened to it uh, from there on out. So yeah, seeing it front to back sure. live. Yeah, uh, makes sense. Mark me down for a bop, my man. I feel like I haven't bopped Good. anything right. in a while. I feel like I've, maybe I've just been grumpy lately. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've had any any strong bops. So this is it. You also had mercy me in the mix. That's there, true. So kinda... <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can <laughs> yeah. probably be forgiven. I I want to go because I want to have Hoogs. Let's hear I'm it, Very Josh. curious about Hoogs. Um, okay. Obviously, this is a hard album for me to just like assess objectively because it has so much nostalgia and it's meant so much to me for so, so many years, but going back and like listening to this with my critical hat on, I think only made me appreciate it all the more where I was keen into all the little things. And like that works so well. Like I can't like y'all are doing, y'all are putting so much into these songs. They're flowing so well into each other there. So yeah, I, I could go on, but I'll keep it succinct and just that uh, listening critically instead of just vibe-wise or just like passively made me appreciate it all the more and mm. has increased my respect for this album, and it is a certified bop. <laughs> it gets a Josh bop. Certified. Two bops in a row. Not bad. All right, Hoog, you're up, man. Okay. Bring that... Bring that sweet, sweet uh, Jonathan signature perspective to the <laughs> CJN table here. Okay. What do you got? Sure. So um, I also had a really hard time separating from my experience with this album in the 2000s because it was such an intimate album for me. So I did my best to put on my critical hat. And I think I 
I succeeded in finding weaknesses and areas that I really didn't like as much as I did back then. I think I talked about those. But overall, I'm going to side with Josh in that I appreciated a lot more than I found to be weak. Um, you know, there were some things like the end of the album, the last rec the last track on the song that really hit me hard as like an angsty 17-year-old that don't really resonate with me. But musically speaking sure. and just like production-wise, um, I found more that I was like, wow, that's why that worked when I was a kid. And it still hmm. works now. Mm -hmm. um, so very easy one for me. Certified bop for, for Hoog. Three bops. It gets a Hoog bop. All right. Three in a freaking TJ, row. TJ, what you got, right. my man? No pressure mm. on the non-metal like head. <laughs> no, really, there is no pressure. Well, this is all made up. Yeah, there isn't. It's all made up, and the and the thumbs don't matter. The um, thumbs do matter. So what? what well, oh, tell thanks, me, buddy. tell me the thumbs after you tell me your your verdict. Yeah. So I, I especially as we talked about in part A, um, I am coming into this one with, you know, not a lot of previous nostalgia energy behind this one because i love they're only chasing safety and this album got a cursory listen or two from me the the other you know like bigger tracks um writing on the walls for sure i listened to quite a few times but overall front to back i didn't listen to this album a lot so i'm coming to it from a very different place with that said um, I did really appreciate the guitar in this album on a level that I never did before um, because I think I, it was already established in my mind that Aaron's drumming rules, so I could appreciate that without having to like think about it too much. Mm -hmm. It was more just like, damn, he's killing it. But I was, I was paying a lot of attention to the guitar, um, and I was really trying to hook into the lyrics, the vocals. Um, that was really tricky for me on this album. I did not have a lot to grab onto because it's no fault of the mix. I Like we talked about, I thought the mix was amazing, and it's no fault um, to Aaron or Spencer. The vocals are incredible. I think this genre, I just struggle to I think it's the like, nature of the genre, yeah. Exactly. There's so much going on. It's chaotic by nature, and that's okay. Like, it's fine, but it's hard for me to, to hook into anything lyrically or vocally, um, Though from time to time there were exceptions to that, but since there was a lot less than I'm used to, uh, it was it was harder for me to really resonate with this album. And so um, there were a lot of moments that the songs might have gotten the full two thumbs, but they only got one. Um, and I had a hard time connecting with it as much. Anytime Aaron was singing and I could hear what he was saying, I was like, "This is amazing." Basically, we should have just. Uh, rated a, a the almost album instead of <laughs> this record, and I would be able to weigh in with a lot more maybe validity. But um, when this album came out, you're like, if only there was an Aaron record, <laughs> and uh, it's like more uh, like pop what? punk kind of. Yeah. Just wait two years. If only it talked right, about exactly. about the climate in the southern part of the United in the States, south, in Florida. <laughs> yeah, I, that specific lyrical content would really <laughs> connect with me. No, but. Um, all that to say, I I enjoyed digging into this album. It got 14 out of 22 thumbs, uh, which is a 63%. Um, <laughs> nothing to write home about, but it does scrape by technically as a Holy bop. Holy shit, what? Oh, a technical bop. Wow. Yeah. I did not yeah. anticipate that at all. It's a classic no. four bop scenario. 
Wow. Let's go. Somehow. That's wild. A rare for a Bob scenario. Yeah. Wow. You did a great lead up with that. I was I was totally expecting you to to flop it. I just wanted to embody Kylan as you much did. as I could. You did. You've episode. got the flair for the so. dramatic. It's like that's right. I buried the lead. You did. I love it. I love it. I don't need to do this anymore. Hook, you're now a co-host. I quit. Oh no, please. This is exhausting. <laughs> oh no, I'm you already exhausted it. thinking of taking over the Kylan mantle. <laughs> it is exhausting. It really is. Nobody can do it but you, man. Um, Especially, it does look very hot in that. Bathroom, it is so, so goddamn hot. I am ready to. Get out of here. <laughs> if the podcast had me and Hoog just sharing anecdotes, each episode would be like four hours long. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, like, we'd just be like, the, I would love we'd just, it. We'd just be like the lowest, most monotone podcast anyone's ever heard. Like, <laughs> oh, Josh, that was a really fascinating observation you just made. Oh, Hoog, uh, you as well. <laughs> I, but you know what? I would be here for it. I, I, I would dig it. Because the same thing yeah, of like. If it was just TJ and I, we did that for seven episodes and no one listened. <laughs> so it's nonsense. <laughs> We're the podcast that influenced the podcast. Yeah. Like a band's band, you know? <laughs> pod, yeah. We talked about that, I think, with me without you and the, the part A of this. So Hell yeah. callback to That's that. That's so good. Callbacks. I didn't Call get back. to do any callbacks because I didn't I would didn't participate in part A. Guess you should have brought that XLR cable to the mouth. <laughs> 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 Got him. Yep. <sighs> I love I love getting roasted, man. Uh, <laughs> it's your love language, right? It really is, man. Talking shit is my love language. So anyway, that's all we got. Hoog, it was a pleasure to have it you, man. It was, Oh, dude. thank you. Uh, we've Thanks we've been looking on. forward to this, to having you on for a long time. Uh, do you want to plug yeah. anything? Is there anything like you want people that listen to this to go check out? Not personally. Um, I mean, I would say since we're talking about Under Oath, I am a huge fan of their newest record, Voyeurist. Uh, they had a rough you know, decade just musically, I, I personally think. Um, but as I said in the first half, I think Voyeurist is a really amazing record. Um, I think everyone should go listen to it and just see see what you think. Um, I don't I don't really produce any music or or anything for the public consumption, so I have nothing to personally plug. But you know, go support these yeah. guys. They're still brilliant musicians, and uh, you know, make sure that they succeed. That's what's up. Well said. Be sure to what do I what do I say here? I never know how to end this. Uh, listen to us. No, <laughs> you're doing that already. Um, <laughs> Drink lots of water. <laughs> Peace out, Mon Frères. Um, uh, rate, review, subscribe uh, to all the things, and we will catch you on the flippy flop. I got to get out of this bathroom. This has been Church Jams Now. Peace out, Mon Frères. Peace out, Mon Frères. <laughs>